People say, well, this is a unique case. Look at what's happening to these poor students. There's nothing unique about it except that they were Duke students. What happened to the students is what happens to, you know, people every day in the criminal justice system. This entire experience has opened my eyes up to a tragic world of injustice I never knew existed. If police officers and a district attorney can systematically railroad us with absolutely no evidence whatsoever, I can't imagine what they'd do to people who do not have the resources to defend themselves. Context of white supremacy, Gusty Renegade. That was the documentary Fantastic Lies, uh, Reed Seligman, uh, one of the exonerated uh, white men who was accused wrongly of raping Crystal Mangum uh, in the Duke lacrosse case. But he was talking about, wow, this case could have turned out very different if we didn't have the resources to kind of investigate what my Mike Nifong prosecuting attorney was up to. What could have happened is what did happen with Daryl Howard. Who is Daryl Howard? After spending 21 years in prison for a crime he did not commit, Daryl Howard is now getting used to life on the outside. He was released from prison Wednesday after a judge overturned his double murder conviction. Today, the Durham County DA's office made it official. They will not retry Howard. CBS North Carolina's Michael Hyland sat down with him to talk about how his life has changed and what's next. It was a very trying experience, but at the end, it was worth it. Daryl and Nanny Howard had only hoped one day they'd be here together, under the same roof, living as husband and wife. After a judge overturned Daryl's double murder conviction and he was released from prison Wednesday, 21 years of fighting for justice finally ended. We had to complete this, not because it was something we started and we just wanted to do it. It's like we cared about each other, we loved each other, and we wanted to make sure we end this the right way. Daryl's attorneys argued the prosecutor at the time, Mike Nifong, withheld evidence that pointed to other suspects. Nifong has since been disbarred for his handling of the Duke lacrosse case. They learned Friday Daryl won't be retried for the murders of Doris Washington and her daughter Nishanda. The Durham DA's office saying the evidence isn't sufficient. We got the news. And it came over the phone, mm -hmm. and I went like... <sighs> Getting news like that on the phone is just one part of adjusting to life on the outside. I told her I wanted a um, flip-up. No, you don't need no flip-up. I said, no, I don't know. No, no, when we went to get the flip-up, no one makes them anymore. There also have been difficult moments, reconnecting with family. My mom, she got Alzheimer's. She, you know, that, that hurt me, but she's still breathing. That's the most beautiful part. I went to see her the other day. She seen me, she said, hey, baby, and I was just looking at her. I started crying. We crazy. I was yeah. crying, going off, you know. Just having to endure all of that and then just, like he said, reconnecting with your family and trying to still keep those bridges intact when you know it's really, really hard. For now, Daryl is looking for work and also looking to advocate for others like himself. This kind of stuff can be happening. I mean, it was, it was clear. The, the part that hurt me the most is they know I ain't do it. They knew before the arrest, man, didn't do it. In Durham, Michael Hyland, CBS North Carolina. Now, one of the big questions that still remains is, will someone else be charged in connection with the two murders? We reached out to the Durham Police Department to find out if they're going to reopen the case. A spokesman said he was checking with investigators, but so far, there's nothing official. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy today's date monday february 21 2022 so i have 
been told. Before we even get started, Anthony Broadwater, Matthew Cotton, Vincent Simmons, now you can add Daryl Howard, long list of privileged black males, exonerated, released, after years, some case decades, Vincent Simmons, 44 years, and it, whoops, whoops, our, our bad, sorry about that, Daryl, and making sure we don't forget names, Daryl Howard was wrongly convicted, double murders, 23 years, he got $6 million, which I think is really pitiful, 23 years, convicted murderer, and you get six million dollars you gotta be joking anywho he was convicted of killing Doris Washington and her 13 year old daughter Nishanda make sure I say that again Doris Washington and her 13 year old Nishanda who apparently we didn't even convict the correct person Black Lives Matter. Anyway, uh, the whole reason for our broadcast for today's program, I can split it right down the middle because there are two. Uh, So let's see. Number one, we had Aya Gruber on the program two weeks ago from today. We talked about her book, uh, The Role of White Women, Feminism in the Mass Incarceration Movement. In between talking about all of that in her book, she just kind of happens to mention Crystal Mangum later ends up being convicted second degree murder. And she talks about the bi-directional violence in this case that resulted in Reginald Day, black male being killed. That's who Crystal Mangum was convicted uh, of killing in 2013. So she, Aya Gruber mentions all of that in the context also of the Me Too Fuhrer and hey, you have to believe if a female says that she has been raped, you have to believe her. And she brought it up in that context as well of really? You have to? No investigation? Really? Also came up, we talked about a number of those uh, pesky or interesting ESPN 30 for 30 documentaries. They do have a documentary on this case and I remember when I saw it the first time I remembered one of our guests on the program the late Pamela Evans Harris beloved Uh, but they talk about this case in the interracial con game the 2006 Duke lacrosse rape case the accuser Crystal Mangum black female this is on page 172 the interracial con game they write Crystal Mangum a 27 year old black female student at North Carolina Central University accused three white Duke University students members of the Duke Blue Devils men's lacrosse team of raping her at a party held where she had been hired as an exotic dancer prosecutor Mike Nifong mounted a vigorous offense against the white males from prominent white families after the case made national headlines Nifong's case fell apart after the defense attorneys for the white male students 
reported that a private DNA lab allegedly discovered that none of the DNA found in Mike Mangum's body DNA I'm sure I read that right. None discovered that none of the DNA found in Mangum's body belonged to the accused players, insinuating that she had been sexually active with multiple unknown males prior to her stripping at the party, aka a typical black whore who could not be raped. Based on further investigation, the rape charges were dropped. Nifong was disbarred, making him the first prosecutor in North Carolina history to lose his law license for prosecuting a case. I would say there's a lot more to that story and if you continue following it, now Nifong has company in North Carolina. That is how we arrived at our broadcast for today. There are many, many books written about this whole 2006 uh, scandal uh, one of the better ones uh, will get an opportunity to dissect the price of silence, the Duke lacrosse scandal. Uh, our guest for today's program, in addition to publishing this fantastic book, which in fact, it is really, really long. It's probably one of the longer books that we've had an author come on the program and chit chat about. It is definitely weighty. But wow, it has got some nuggets. Let me give you one and then we'll bring them on and get to the discussion. So excited if folks listen in. I know we have a lot of North Carolina uh, listeners. If you remember all of this and have some thoughts, feel free to dial in too. But wow, to be reading this case, black female accusing white males of raping her. And somehow we end up being back. The black male rapist. There were many moments where I was staggered reading this here book. This is the ultimate. This one took the cake like Gus T. Renegade was floored. I needed a standing eight count like, whoo, let me get my legs together. My goodness, you brutalized me. So this is way later on in the book. Cases or the, yeah, the rape charges are winding down. Looks like this is not going to be going to trial or anything. So they're talking about how some of the faculty members who are really critical uh, and outspoken about their feelings uh, about racism and misogyny on the campus and how the lacrosse team had been pampered so at this point many people are feeling like hey you were part of this this frenzy and this rush to judge these white lacrosse students before all the evidence uh, had been examined and that was really wrong it's supposed to be a presumption of innocence so some of the folks online started writing in i'll pick up and give it to you uh this is Ooh, this is from uh, the chapter 14, The Hunter Becomes the Hunted. So our author, guest for today, he writes, uh, The committee was especially concerned about a recent wave of emails directed at Duke professors in previous months. Worthy of special mention because they are so distasteful and beyond any form of acceptable speech are the emails that I have seen in recent months, which are nothing more or less than anonymous racist personally vilifying rants sent primarily but not only to african-american faculty members among the email messages that holloway who is a black professor received were ones that contained the phrases you stupid bitter bitch what a fool you made of yourself jumping on the guilty bandwagon only as a pathetic attempt 
to appease your own anger for growing up ugly and the fate of black people is sealed because whites possess superior logic. We need to show more rape cases on television between black men and black women to further educate black women. I was Deontay Wilder. I needed an eight count. Let me get my balance back. I'm a little wobbly. I got it together. I got it together. In fact, let me just, can I just read that last two sentences real quick? And then we'll just get to our guest. The last two sentences were one more time. The fate of black people is sealed because whites possess superior logic. We need to show more rape cases on television between black men and black women to further educate black women. Black male rapist. Now, our guest, in addition to writing this book, lots of lofty accomplishments, many best-selling books. Uh, he's written for the New York Times, uh, the Financial Times, New York Times Magazine, The Atlantic. Real pleasure uh, to have him on the broadcast to discuss a fascinating book. Maybe even explain, wow, why would you include such a detail? What did you hope to convey to your readers? Thrilled to have him on the program. Our guest, author William Cohen. Mr. Cohen, are you with us, sir? Oh, did I get it? I thought I got it right. Let's see. Let's try one more. There we go. Are you with us, Mr. Cohen? Yes, sir. Awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this Monday evening. Real pleasure to have you uh, on the program. Uh, for our listening audience, I know, I'm sure we have some folks, this is their first time hearing from you. They've not read any of your material. Uh, anything that you would like to share with folks about your illustrious writing career, the work that you do? Well, I would, I would just say that um, I was a journalist uh, in Raleigh uh, for a few years and then became a Wall Street banker over 17 years and then went back to writing uh, 18 years ago in 2004. And when it comes to the, the Duke book, um, you know, I'm a Duke graduate and uh, I wrote that book because I wanted to know as a Duke graduate what really happened uh, in the lacrosse case. Uh, you know, I was uh, at that time in New York City, and you know you turn on the news, and it was all over the news. Obviously, the cable channels, and you know, for the first uh, you know three or four months, it was uh, you know, oh my God, these uh, lacrosse players, uh, you know, are, are guilty. Uh, how could they do this? Uh, uh, and then next thing you know, it was. Uh, a crystal mangum, uh, you know, made all this up. How could she do this? Uh, and then it was Mike Nifong is the villain. He was just out to get these kids, uh, because he wanted to get reelected as the Durham district attorney. Uh, and I thought to myself, okay, you know, what is going on here? What is really going on here? I need to, 
take a blank sheet of paper, start at the beginning without any biases, without any preconceived notions and figure out, you know, just what the hell really happened. And, and that's what I did. And, uh, that's why the book is long, as you said, uh, uh, but it's detailed. It's, I think it's riveting because I don't think this is a situation, you know, Gus, where people think they know what happened. They've made up their minds about what they think happened. They're really certain about that, and they do not want to be swayed by anything that resembles the facts. But uh, most people have no clue what really happened, uh, except in their own minds, uh, when uh, they've really decided uh, what happened. And, you know, now... Uh, sort of, you know, situations like this on college campuses are are, are well known. The Me Too movement is well known. Uh, Black Lives Matter movement is is important and and well known. Uh, uh, but this really was one of the first cases uh, where all those things sort of came together. Of course, it wasn't the first, but it was one of the first where all these things came together in 2006 on, you know, on my, you know, at my alma mater. So I was really determined to figure out what, what the heck happened. And so that's why I wrote that book. Great intro, sir. Uh, let's see. Uh, for folks who have not seen you, you are a white man. Is that correct, Mr. Cohen? Last time I checked, yes, I am. Right on. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Did you, were you going to say something else? Well, I'm just going to say, you know, and uh, I, you know, for whatever reason, uh, uh, not having to do with my race, uh, wanted to get to the bottom of what happened here. I wanted to tell this story in a completely uh, balanced, journalistic way. Uh uh, as far as I can tell, Gus, I'm the only journalist uh, who's ever uh, interviewed Crystal Mangum. Uh, I interviewed her uh, when she was in jail in, in, in Raleigh, uh, awaiting trial for the murder of her then boyfriend, for which she's now, uh, in, I guess I, I, I saw excuse me, in Durham uh, before she uh, was on trial for the uh, jail in Durham for the uh, before she was put on trial uh, in in Raleigh for the murder of her boyfriend and now she's in I believe women's prison in Raleigh uh, and I think I'm also the only journalist uh, who spent uh, hours uh, and days with Mike Nifong and actually got uh, from him and from his perspective. Uh, why he did what he did and what really happened uh, from his perspective. So uh, I, I'm i very proud uh, of, of this book, uh, Gus. Uh, it's proved to be extremely controversial, um, much more controversial than I ever would have anticipated. And the reason for that is because uh, the powers that be in, in North Carolina and up and down the East Coast of this country um, decided that they liked their version of events, i.e. that this uh, woman uh, uh, made up these accusations and this, this power-hungry district attorney, uh, uh, you know, railroaded these kids 
and they were, you know, completely uh, innocent as the uh, then state attorney general of North Carolina decided, uh, now governor of North Carolina, uh, uh, decided. Uh, you know, I don't think you can name, I've, I've thought about this a lot, I don't think you can name another case, another instance where uh, people were indicted. These three guys were indicted by a North Carolina uh, grand jury. Uh, uh, the case in front of the grand jury is presented by the police, not the not Mike Nightbomb. Uh, they were indicted by a grand jury. I don't think you can name another case where people were indicted and then there was no trial uh, because the investigation was taken over by uh, uh, the state attorney general, uh, who then conducted uh, essentially a, a secret four-month uh, investigation uh, and then de- declared the boys uh, uh, innocent, uh, which isn't even uh, a term in jurisprudence. It's either guilty or not guilty, and Roy Cooper, the current governor since 2017 of North Carolina, was the state attorney general at the time, uh, and he he did this. Uh, And so, you know, this is just sort of one of those cases that is completely unprecedented in uh, the justice uh, system in America. And, uh, you know, people completely forget that aspect of this. Uh, They've just uh, decided that uh, this was just a complete railroading of, uh, you know, our uh, three white, uh, innocent, uh, you know, uh, young uh, uh, Duke lacrosse players. Context of white supremacy, man. Oh, man, I cannot wait to get to Scottsboro Boy since he said railroad. That is one of the questions I had comes up in the book regularly. Uh, and as well, since I did read the book, I say it all the time, long live Al Sharpton. And I can get three, so many things I talk about all the time. Said it consistently, everything is one degree of separation from O.J. Simpson. I didn't even get it out. Of course, I should have known that because the Innocence Project is going to be mentioned. So that's Barry Sheck. So that's already, you know. But then he gets mentioned repeatedly in the book. Like, my name was like, oh, O.J. Simpson. Of course, O.J. Simpson. Um... Before we get to some of the details, Scottsboro, boy. oh man, before we get to some of the details, this book, he used the word riveting. Now, I gave you the first anecdote I easily could have started with. When do we have a white guest write a book and they give us a racist joke? Let me give you the racist joke, then I'll ask our question. We ask all the folks about the definition. The racist joke, how do you stop black people from hanging out in your backyard Hang one in the front. Racist joke even in the book. Now, unfortunately, it does come from a victim, Nick Shungu. But I mean, wow. Riveting. Maybe for different reasons for different readers. But for Gus T, riveting. Mr. Cohen, uh, we ask all our folks who come on the program. Racism. Already said the word. I use the term racism. And the term white supremacy as synonyms, I use the same definition for both terms. The definition I use is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated 
to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Uh, do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? Oh, I love there's some, uh, you know, heavy duty uh, questions. Um, I think there's obviously uh, no question that uh, such a system exists. I think, you know, our history is uh, filled with such instances. Uh, all you have to do is listen to somebody like uh, Brian Stevenson and um, see what he's built in Montgomery, Alabama, the the lynching museum, and uh, you can uh, know that that's true. Uh, I don't think that that's really uh, up for debate anymore. Um, it's a really sad chapter of our history. Uh, and, um, you know, never we've never really sort of come to grips with it. Um, but, you know, again, I think you saw that uh, in the Duke of Cross case, clearly. Um, and I think your definition is probably as uh, good as any I've heard. So I can sign on to that. Right on. Uh, I'm going to try and cover as much as I can, try and get one of some of the smaller questions out first. Um, this is such an enormous book. You have so much material. You quote from so many folks. You already said you got to speak to some of the key folks. Uh, and, you know, Mike Nifong doesn't even talk to a lot of folks. Why don't you have uh, the footnotes like in the body of the text? Was that your decision or the editor's? Uh, all of my books. Uh, Gus, uh, have, uh, end, end notes. Um, I've written a, a book, uh, about, um, Goldman Sachs, a book about, uh, uh, Bear Stearns, the collapse of Bear Stearns, a book about Lazard, which is a French uh, bank. Um, my new book is about, uh, the General Electric Company, the, essentially the rise and fall of the company. These are, you know, heavily researched, detailed books uh, with a lot of footnotes in the back. Uh, in this case, uh, Gus, uh, as you said, it is a long book already. And um, but I, I, but you know, I don't want people to get scared off by it if they're tempted to to, to read it because it. I think you would, you you know, I think one could argue it kind of reads like a thriller. Um, uh, and I decided that, you know, actually since so much of what I based the book, you know, writing the book on, uh, was evident from the context of, of the writing. In other words, uh, I was either quoting from, uh, you know, newspaper articles or TV shows or interviews that I had done, a vast number of interviews or court documents. Or, or, you know, emails that were in court documents or DNA studies that were the, the, the court record was very extensive here, despite the fact that there was no trial and everybody thinks there was and there wasn't. Uh, again, getting back to my earlier point that I don't think you can name another case where 
people were indicted and there were no trial. I mean, how does that happen? Uh, you know, that's that's one of the, the, the bigger issues that I can ever get over in this situation. But I decided that rather than uh, lard the book up further in the back, we, what was clearly what was clear from the context of of my writing that, you know, where this information was coming from, because I made it clear along the way, I just uh, put in a note saying, you know, um, you know here, here are some of the, the books I read. Here, here are some of the sources that I relied on. Um, and, you know, if you want to know where something came from, you know, specifically, you know, let me know and I'll, I'll let you know where I got it from. Uh, but I, I don't think it was, there was any uh, ambiguity about where things came from. It's not like I was, Quoting from you know obscure seventeenth-century uh, medieval uh, documents or something that I found in a, a church in rural France. I mean, you know, we're talking about you know uh, uh, contemporary uh, legal uh, filings, uh, uh, documents included in the legal filings, interviews with you know the various principals involved, um, and uh, 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 contemporaneous. Uh, news uh, sources uh, as well. No ambiguity about the sources, sir. Not at all. Uh, interestingly, when you uh, mentioned uh, Brian Stevenson and the lynching museum that he has down in Alabama, lots of black male rapists uh, memorialized there. That's not what I was thinking of with Mr. Stevenson. I was thinking of the Equal Justice initiative much like the innocent project which also has had to address a lot of black males accused of rape wrongly on uh, trying to get some of those folks out of prison but either would have qualified yes. mr stevenson um i wanted to start and get some of the sources uh you talk about the incident for folks who i guess have forgotten or maybe we have some young listeners who don't know at all so march 13 2006 duke lacrosse team they had been in the NCAA lacrosse uh, championship game uh, the previous season, even though they lost. So they were a powerhouse. Maybe they could win it all this time around. Uh, they have this party uh, March 13, 2006. During spring break. During spring break, yes, sir. No student, Most students are not you know, on campus and what have you, where they invite, uh, I'm going to say strippers, even though they generally say exotic dancers. Yeah, take your pick. So they invite these uh, strippers. They're supposed to come dance. Crystal Mangum is one. Uh, they're both non-white females. Incidentally, it's reported that they requested white uh, dancers, and they ended up with yeah. these non-white That's dancers, true. and that caused some consternation yeah. <laughs> amongst the folks that were there. Right from the start. But the <sighs> so we go through all of and this. After a day of drinking, excessively, <laughs> and they had uh, just been given you know, $500 each by their coach, you know, to spend for food during the week because there was spring break and the Duke cafeteria was supposedly closed. So they were going to have to get, you know, food elsewhere. And, and immediately they spend it, uh, a, a lot of it, uh, or some of it, uh, you know, on this party where they'd been drinking all day. And then these two dancers that, you know, they arranged previously arranged for to show up at 11 o'clock at night. So, you know, and by the way, this is the kind of party that they'd been having uh, for for years, the lacrosse players during the spring break when they're on campus and nobody else is. So this is not like the first time. It might have been like the first time that they had uh, 
uh, uh, you know, strippers, but, uh, you know, believe it or not, uh, other parties, other frat parties on campus had invited strippers to campus. And, uh, uh, you know, the other important thing uh, to note here is that, um, like when I was at Duke, the drinking age was 21. So, of course, uh, I mean, excuse me, it was 18. So, of course, you know, everybody could drink on campus. But by the time 2006 rolled around, the drinking age had been raised to 21. And so technically, you know, you weren't allowed to drink on campus because only like seniors were 21. So that's why this party occurred at uh, uh, off campus, off Duke's East Campus, right along next to the wall next to Duke's East Campus in a house where uh, a number of the uh, lacrosse co-captains lived. So essentially, um, I think it was Reagan uh, who, who raised the drinking age to 21, uh, you know, and then, of course, Duke, you know, which, uh, like many campuses, is uh, not shy about uh, sort of living it up and being a bit of a party school as well as a, you know, academically rigorous school, uh, you know, they sort of pushed were forced to push uh, a lot of the drinking uh, off campus into these off campus houses into the uh, you know middle class upper middle class neighborhood across the street from Duke's East Campus, which had been an ongoing problem throughout that fall, and the police had come several times to this house to basically tell you know to stop the partying and other houses in the in the neighborhood. Um, and this, Gus, is like one of my favorite details. Uh, uh, this became such a problem uh, during the fall of 2005, uh, leading into the spring of 2006, that uh, uh, Duke the University uh, decided to buy uh, a bunch of like, you know, like 10 of these houses uh, in this neighborhood uh, uh, called Trinity Park, I believe, uh, uh, across from East Campus from a Duke alum who had bought the houses, uh, you know, quasi-renovated them, and then were renting them out to Duke students. So uh, as a way to, and, and then they'd be kind of party central because you, you know, they basically couldn't drink on West Campus anymore. Um, and so this, you know, the, the new laws and, and rules sort of forced drinking off campus into this neighborhood. And so literally a week before this a party occurred, uh, the house was no longer owned by the Duke alum, who had bought it years earlier and a bunch of other houses, if he had sold them all to Duke University. And then Duke University uh, was going to uh, 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 renovate the homes and then sell them back to, to, you know, incoming families to sort of eliminate the problem of, of drinking uh, in this neighborhood and partying in this neighborhood. So uh, uh, at the time of this party, Duke owned that house where this party occurred, which uh, made it uh, uh, additionally potentially liable for what occurred in that house adding to, you know, a lot of concern among the Duke trustees and the Duke legal folks.
context of white supremacy, William Cohen, much obliged for giving us lots of context uh, for heading into this uh, event. Uh, and in fact, that word innocent, that comes up so many times, and he even brought it up early, really important point in terms of these three white men being indicted uh, and in no trial and then declared innocent uh, by our now governor uh, or North Carolina governor, not our uh, Roy Cooper. Uh, those white men, uh, again, Colin uh, Flaherty. Oh, I had the names all right there. Colin Flaherty. Thank you. David uh, Evans Reed and Reed Seligman. There we go. Oh, I had it right there, Dave Evans. Uh, but I thought it was really important in terms of before we run to the, they might be innocent of, you know, the rape charge, which is super serious, but I mean just innocent in a broad sense, like slow down uh, with, you said the racism immediately with, we ordered white strippers and we end up with non-white strippers. So that's problem one, the racism immediately. And then just to give full context to some of the other things that were said the night that all this happened. So this is March 13, going into March 14, early morning hours, 2006. You write, <clears throat> On April 1, the Times ran yet another story about the few around Duke were surprised that Trouble had found the lacrosse team a clubby, hard-partying outfit with roots in the elite prep schools of the Northeast. The team's defenders allowed that the players were easy targets because of their real, uh, relatively privileged upbringings and status on campus. Its critics believed the players operated with a sense of entitlement that stood out even at Duke and surely brought the Trouble on themselves. The Times interviewed Peter Wood, who explained that lacrosse players stood out for their aggression on campus in part because of the nature of the game itself, which was invented by Native Americans and played by them with a gusto that bordered on violence. The modern day, less animalistic version of the game was especially favored by white prep schoolers from towns in Maryland, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Long Island. The football players here are often rural white boys with baseball caps or hard-working black students who are proud to be at Duke, he said. Basketball players are held at a higher level and are more tightly controlled. Too often, there seems to be a surliness about some lacrosse players' individual demeanor. They seem hostile and there's a group mentality. Wood said that for many years, he taught lacrosse players at Duke they were keenly interested in the history of the game. As he had written in his letter two years earlier, he told the Times he did not quite know why attitudes among the lacrosse players had changed when it came to academics. It's gotten noticeably worse in the last four or five years, he said. They've gotten more aggressive. He recounted the story he had told Dean Thompson about how, before the Virginia lacrosse game two years before I went to UVA, a number of the players had told him they intended to skip his class because Coach Pressler had scheduled an extra practice to try to improve the level of play before the big game. He told the players he would not give them permission to miss his class, and then he complained to the athletic department they skipped his class anyway. To me, that is beyond the pale, Wood said. You don't do that at Duke. After reading Wood's comment in the New York Times, Mary Siemens, the great-granddaughter of Washington Duke, the great-niece of James B. Duke, and the major Duke philanthropist, wrote to Wood that it was good to see your remarks in the paper. There is something wrong. As Houston Baker said, the racial feelings weren't that stressful eight years ago. What has happened? Around the same time, Wood sent a letter to Kathleen Smith, a Duke biology professor, 
and the chair of the Duke Athletic Council, informing her that the last time he taught his course in Native American history, two years earlier, there were six members of the lacrosse team in the class, including both Matt Zash and Dave Evans, two of the three co-captains who lived at 610 North Buchanan, where this alleged incident took place. Something has changed. I am all too familiar with the particular blend of strength, privilege, and boorishness that unfortunately has been associated with lacrosse subculture nationally from time to time, he wrote. But this seemed out of place at Duke, for it was occasionally tinged with defiance, belligerence, and even anti-social racism. Why else would one student write at the end of the semester, I wish all the Indians had died and then we wouldn't have to study them. He worried about the groupthink among the lacrosse players. When these players approached me, it was generally as a delegation with a single spokesman. I will stop there just because sometimes the word that's used instead is clannish. And that word is used repeatedly to describe the lacrosse players. Clannish. Can you give just some comment on why all of this is such important background for what took place? Yeah, I mean, because uh, on, uh, on Duke's campus, uh, you know, the, the basketball team obviously gets a lot of attention. Um for its success, but uh, as I uh, as sort of we talked about or alluded to earlier, I mean, you know, Coach K keeps the basketball players uh, sort of sequestered, uh, very much under his control. Uh, and there's what twelve of them or fifteen of them. Uh, you know, the lacrosse players. There's forty five of them. Uh, you know, at that time, were forty six, forty five of which were white, and one of whom was black. Uh, and uh, they were really the alpha male, uh, you know, student sports stars on campus uh, and had been for a long time. So they were sort of uh, um, unruly, uh, un, they could not be uh, disciplined. And, you know, they did not, they didn't think the rules applied to them. So they would, you know, uh, uh you know, act out in Peter Wood's class. Peter Wood, history professor, uh, who I had when I was a Duke, a uh, great uh, guy, uh, really inspiring professor, a brilliant man, um, and who had played lacrosse, I think, at Harvard, and, um, uh, you know, was trying to stop the lacrosse players from essentially goofing off. And uh, and being indifferent, you know, both, uh, you know, intellectually, socially and, and physically, you know, in in his in his classroom. And uh, he uh, spoke up about the dangers of uh, so he, he 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 was he sort of anticipated what uh, ultimately happened. He, he predicted that that the, the, the lacrosse team would be uh, involved in some sort of scandal or bad behavior incident uh, and he tried to alert uh, his fellow professors and the administration you know that things were getting out of control that attitudes had changed that the lacrosse players are sort of were, were sort of strutting around acting all superior 
Uh, and he really tried to get the administration to focus on this. Uh, and, um, uh, of course, they didn't do anything, and then this incident occurred, and he was outspoken through the source of, course of the incident. And um, his reward for calling it like it, like it, like it was, for, for seeing trouble before it happened and trying to do something about it, is essentially Duke, even though he's a full-tenured professor, Duke basically fired him. Uh, and uh, he now teaches uh, in Bo- at Boulder uh, University of Colorado, Boulder. Uh, they, you know, they they basically took away his classes, uh, and uh, I don't think technically they could take away his tenure, but they made it so that he was basically done at Duke, and he and he left. So uh, you know that, and, and Houston Baker, a name that you mentioned earlier, he, he also left. Uh, Duke, and now I believe it's Vanderbilt or was, and so you know the uh, the teachers, the professors who sort of spoke out, uh, although Carla Holloway is still at Duke, uh, uh, you know basically, um, uh, you know they had they paid the price for speaking out, for trying to alert the administration uh, to the bad behavior, to try to tamp down. Uh, the uh, their their ability to sort of run roughshod over the campus, um, and of course uh, they uh, did not succeed. And then you had this incident, which of course put Duke in the national headlines in a way that they would definitely prefer not to have been. Although uh, you know, ironically, again, when this whole thing was over. It started in uh, March of 2006, and, by, and then it was eventually over uh, in 2007. Uh, as you know, as we know, with Roy Cooper um, declaring the boys innocent, which is not um, a, a term in jurisprudence in the legal system. You're either guilty or not guilty. Uh, he did a secret four-month investigation and put out a, you know. Uh, 20-page supercilious report. Uh, I tried to FOIA uh, Freedom of Information Act to get more of the details uh, about the investigation, uh, which completely got shut down by the North Carolina courts. Even my own attorney, who I was paying, kind of abandoned me because he didn't want to run up against the power structure in North Carolina to try to get that information released never been released uh and then uh the three kids uh sued duke uh as i say uh, explain in the book book and to make all of that go away uh that lawsuit go away duke paid the three kids 20 million dollars each uh and uh, uh I, that fact was not known until i reported it in, in the book um, and so basically that's why the book is called The Price of Silence, because uh, for $20 million, they bought the silence of these three kids and basically all the other lacrosse players as well. Uh, I was only able to speak to one of the lacrosse players, uh, a guy named Brian McFadden, uh, who had a whole other sort of incident in and around the uh, night of the parties. American uh, Psycho. He wasn't one of the students. Yeah, the American Psycho incident. 
um, uh, and uh, which was, you know, very in poor taste in his case, and I think kind of a joke, but Duke uh, kind of screwed him as well. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there were no no heroes uh, in this case. Uh, nobody comes off looking uh, uh, good or exemplary. It's really a bad, a bad scene, man. Um, and you know, Barry Sheck, who you mentioned, uh, did represent these kids through the Innocence Project, and you know, quote unquote, I guess got them off, or was part of the group that got them off. You know, the high-powered attorneys came in basically used the state bar of North Carolina to go after Nifong and uh, uh, bring him up on, you know, uh, charges and, you know, get him uh, disbarred uh, and he had to recuse himself from the case. And that's, that's why the case went to Roy Cooper, the state attorney general, because, because uh, uh, Nifong had to recuse himself from the case. Uh, in and around December of 2006, uh, because he had to f- fight the state, face the state bar charges, and um, I think this is very important for your listeners to know that uh, as he was doing that, and he was telling Crystal that um, uh, he was going to have to uh, give up the case and turn it over to Roy Cooper, uh, and he suggested to her, you know, because there'd been a huge backlash against her. Uh, you know, the narrative had changed. She couldn't remember, uh, some of the incidents, uh, detail of some of the incidents and, and the rape charge was dropped, but not the kidnapping charge and not the sexual assault charge. And, uh, a knife said to her, look, you know, I'm, I have to accuse myself because the state bar has come after me. As he said, the first time a district attorney in the state of North Carolina had been disbarred in North Carolina history or in the history of the state bar, which I think was like 150 years old. And, uh, he said to her, you know, you know, if you want, Crystal, this may not be a bad time to say, you know what, uh, you know, let's just drop the case. Uh, you know, uh, you know, it's just not going in the right direction. It's the tide is turning, you know, it's getting ugly. And, uh, she, uh, had that opportunity. Uh, I could have dropped the other charges, but, uh, insisted that what had happened to her, uh, was true and that she wanted her day in court. She wanted justice to be served and she wanted to go forward with the trial. Uh, even though, you know, chances are, uh, given what you initially said about the DNA evidence, which is by the way, not dispositive just because, you know, there was no DNA evidence in her or on her. There, there was DNA evidence from her under her fingernails, uh, from David Evans, uh, who was in the bathroom, uh, a, but uh, she decided that, no, she wanted her day in court. She wanted justice, and she wanted uh, the case to go forward, uh, even if that meant 
that Nikon wasn't going to be the prosecutor and that it would you know, have to be a new prosecutor or maybe it wouldn't go forward at all, depending on what Roy Cooper did. And, and then between January 2007 and April 2007, Roy Cooper uh, conducted the secret four-month investigation, came out and had the press conference, declared the boys innocent, and that was it. There was no trial. That was it. And so she didn't get a chance to prove her case. The uh, defense didn't get the chance to put on, on their case, and the whole thing evaporated like rain in the Sahara. $20 million each. Again, I mentioned the name at the beginning, Daryl Howard. He served 23 years for misconduct also where Mr. Nifong was the prosecutor and he got $6 million. He didn't celebrate and I wouldn't either. But my question <clears throat> I wanted to ask as well, uh, specifically with these young lacrosse players, and this is so important, we've talked about this on the program for 13 years, it will often be presented that white people are ignorant about racism, white supremacy, what it is, how it works, and that is flagrantly rejected uh, in the text. And right in connection with what I read, the segment about these uh, young white lacrosse players, uh, where you write, let's see, this is Susan Thorne, associate professor of history at Duke. She wrote him, she wrote Professor Wood, to say how wonderfully eloquent it was about his report. She told Wood that she had taught eight members of the lacrosse team over the years and seemed quite concerned that they may unwittingly have failed to pick up on the subtle indications of their alleged bad behavior. She said, I vainly gave them more credit for taking my class, my classes, plural, which are intensely anti-racist. When I read the racist remark most quoted, thanking the girl's grandfather for the cotton shirt. This was allegedly said by one of the white lacrosse players as the <laughs> Miss Mangum and the other non-white female were departing uh, after they were brought over to strip. I felt a dreadful certainty that whoever said it had taken my class, History 113B, Europe's Colonial Encounter. She informed Wood about some of the class discussions regarding how the West's wealth was a result of past and present exploitation of the poor at home and abroad. When she heard about the racist remark, she said it turned everything we learned about the West's, I think that could be white people, white people's debt to the rest into an insulting taunt. I don't know if I'm more heartbroken or nauseated by that. And I'll stop there. I thought that was really important because I don't think this is one of, oh, they just were ignorant about racism and they need to take some classes. It seems they'd already taken those classes and extracted their own lesson. What, what do you think, Mr. Cohen? Oh, yeah, I think um, these are smart kids. They're Duke students. Um, I think they they knew what they were doing. They they knew what they quote unquote wanted. They wanted white strippers. They didn't get them, and I think that became a problem. Uh, uh, there was sort of racial taunting right uh, right at the beginning. You know, people forget they didn't quote unquote dance for very long. They 
dance for like five or ten minutes before the whole thing just deteriorated. Um, you know, and so uh yeah, it's it's ugly. It was an ugly scene. It was um uh terrible incident. A lot of racially charged things were said. Um and you know, as as the uh, head of the Duke Board of Trustees said to me, a guy named Bob Steele, who uh, Duke pleaded with not to talk to me, uh, but he but he did anyway, which is to his credit. Uh, uh, he said, you know, something happened in that bathroom that none of us would be proud of. And, uh, you know, I think that's, Unfortunately, the best we're going to get out of this situation, uh, uh, we'll never know what really happened uh, in that bathroom. We have Crystal's version. We have uh, player's version. Uh, we don't have it presented in a court of law. Um, there was no trial. Uh, so we'll never know. We have the police version. Uh, we don't have Nifon's version because uh, he didn't really uh, have a chance to put on a case. He was um, uh, he was the only one who served time, uh, you know, in prison because in jail because of this whole incident. Obviously, Crystal's in prison because of murdering her boyfriend, which she said was self-defense. She told me it was self-defense. Seemed like self-defense, but nevertheless, she was convicted. Uh, of murder and uh but Nifong was disbarred um he was uh removed from being district attorney he was uh uh convicted of contempt of court and served one day in jail in Durham uh and he filed for you know personal bankruptcy uh, as well he said health issues uh I know everybody wants him to you know quote unquote rotten hell uh, but uh, he uh, uh, only was doing uh, what the uh, evidence uh, that was presented to him by the police told him to do. He did not, in my opinion, do this uh, because he you know, was anxious to get reelected as district attorney. Um, and so, uh, you know, he did not uh, indict the three guys, that was a grand jury. He wasn't even at the grand jury. Um, so anyway, it was a mess, Gus, uh, and people are still pissed off about it. You know, when the book came out, uh, even before anybody had read it, uh, uh, on Amazon, like a group of the parents of the players just uh, immediately went on to Amazon and, and gave the book like one-star reviews. So right off the bat, there were like a hundred one-star reviews for the book, uh, and I mean, uh, you go to the web, you go, you go to Amazon, and you see a one-star review for a book, you're not going to buy it. So uh, that was uh, an eye-opener too. And by the way, that was okay with Amazon. Uh, you don't have to have bought a book and read a book to to give a review uh, of a book. Um, so I think uh, uh, everybody. 
involved was pretty anxious to get this into the rearview mirror. Hmm. When uh, you say with Michael Nifong in terms of, hey, he was disbarred, he had to serve uh, a day in jail uh, for his misconduct uh, in this case, <clears throat> law and I had to declare bankruptcy, lost his law license, like lots of repercussions uh, for Mr. Nifong. You write in the book, <clears throat> you write that Rabanowitz wrote that Nifong's behavior was politically motivated. In quotes now, the jury to which Mr. Nifong played, the black population of Durham duly helped reelect him. She continued, this could not prevent his case of rape and abuse against the three Duke students from coming undone. Thanks in part to his own heedless behavior, but mainly to the accusing dancer herself, whose shifting stories and checkered past could not be hidden. The accused Duke students can be grateful that the case against them has collapsed and that Mr. Nifong now confronts serious ethics complaints. Uh, and you give one more. This is a little for or a little bit before uh, for me. This is seven twenty two. Where you talk about just the sheer numbers in this uh, election for the D.A. seat that he won. I think it was about one fifth, one sixth. Uh, of the black population uh, in this county of North Carolina, so you you don't do you put any stock in that? That hey, that he was motivated uh, about this case, that he knew if he brought these charges and hey, played the race card, a la O.J. Simpson, as they said, that he would get a lot of black voters and we reelected. Do you put any credence in that? I don't know. A lot of people do, but I don't. I talked to him and I talk to other people involved in the election and uh no i don't uh, i think he did what he believed was right uh, after uh reading the police report and doing and talking to to crystal uh uh and so uh and then deciding to bring uh, the case to the grand jury where he was not involved the police are the ones that uh, prevent, present the evidence to the grand jury uh, and they got, you know, indicted. And, um, uh, you know, the whole thing could have been prevented as well. Uh, uh, the police had asked the players to voluntarily provide DNA evidence, you know, like swabs. Uh, a few days after the incident occurred at uh, lacrosse practice that week. And they actually had agreed to do that. Coach had a Pressler, I think, had agreed to let police come by and, and get those DNA samples from the white players because Crystal said that it was white players who had, uh, you know, attacked her. Um, and um, uh, they um, uh, suddenly changed their minds. Uh, their uh, uh, fathers. Uh, uh, fathers of one of the kids was a big time lawyer in Washington and, and said, no, you can't do, we're not going to voluntarily do this. Uh, and so, uh, uh, the police had to go to a judge. Well, first they went to an assistant district attorney who worked for Nipong and he wrote up a non-testimonial order and brought that to the judge and the judge approved it, uh, and, and wrote, uh, that the kids had to, uh, appear at the police station to give DNA evidence, and that's why a few days later there were all the Duke 
like Duke players, lacrosse players, you know, covering their heads with their jackets or whatever, because the, the, the Durham media had been tipped off, and so it became quite a scene. Uh, and then, then, the, then the rest kind of its history. Had had they just agreed to give the DNA swabs uh, privately, sort of as a lacrosse practice, this whole thing may never have happened. But, but they didn't do that. Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. I uh, I reckon. Well, Nifon could have still, if they if they do it that way, Nifon could have still withheld the information from the lab results uh, about the absence. Well, you know, I just have to say here that that's conventional wisdom. He actually didn't withhold the evidence. Uh, he turned it over to the defense. That's mm. how they got it. So he actually did the opposite of withholding it. He turned it over to them. Now, he didn't go through it and lay out the conclusions. Uh, they did that on their own, which you could argue about, you know, maybe he should have, maybe he shouldn't have. Uh, uh, but he, the way the defense got all that DNA evidence, two, two batches from two different DNA labs, was because Nifon turned it over to them. And then the defense meticulously went through it and discovered that their client's uh, DNA was not, quote-unquote, in her or on her. Uh, and, you know, then they, uh, of course, rightly made a big stink about all that. And, it, you know, that got turned into somehow knife on withholding evidence, which he did not do. Uh, again, but, uh, you know, this whole thing, uh, Gus, is... Um, the incident now is uh, 16 years ago. Uh, you know, my book is uh, uh, now, what, uh, eight years old. Uh, uh, you know, I get a lot of grief for this uh, book and just the, the way the facts were presented. Uh, people don't want to know the facts of this situation. They do not want to know the facts of this situation. They want to know what they've decided the facts are. And hmm. I don't know whether that's a symptom that we've seen across uh, America, but it, it did in this incident. Uh, uh, you know, 60 Minutes doesn't want to know the facts. That ESPN documentary that you referenced, uh, which was supposed to be based on my book, uh, and they interviewed me uh, for many hours and then didn't, didn't use anything I said. I offered <laughs> to give them the tapes of my conversation with Mike Nifon. They didn't use them. I offered to give them the tapes of my conversation with Crystal Mangum. They didn't use it. They made a bargain with the parents, uh, and they decided that they were going to go with the parents' version of events rather than what really happened after promising me that they wouldn't do that. So this remains extremely controversial. And honestly, you know, I hope a lot of people don't listen to this because if they do, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get a, a revisiting of much of the grief that I've had to uh, endure for writing what is just the facts, just the facts, just the truth, which very powerful people don't want to to hear. 
they totally uh, ditched him from the documentary. That's hilarious. With uh, I just want to rewind really quick to the question that I asked, because I said, Mr. Nifong, that he withheld this information from the defense, and you said that that's not accurate. And I'm just going to your to yeah. a book here, uh, because it, at least in my view, from what I read, it seems like he did engage in incorrect behavior that would warrant exactly what happened to him, him being sanctioned, disbarred, and all that. And particularly if this is a pattern of behavior, Daryl Howard, uh, but in the book, he said, uh, this is Meehan, who was one of the lab technicians, ended up having to testify and big moment in the book, all that. Uh, Meehan said, because of the minimalist way he wrote the report for Seligman, Finnerty and Evans to have figured out that the test results excluded them, they would have had to go through six inches of paper to find them. And then Cooney asked Meehan if there were any DNA evidence linking Seligman Finnerty and Evans from even a single cell to Mangum. Mian said there was no DNA evidence linking them to an alleged sexual assault crime involving Mangum and that the three could be excluded with 100% certainty. Now, I really, I highlighted this sort of thing because I mean now, hey, now if there's exculpatory information and you kind of bury it in the report, and try to have conversations about maybe let's find a way so we don't really amplify that and kind of meander that. Like, if this had happened and the defendants had been black, I would have been furious. Like, what in the world? Like, you've been out here talking all this, saying they're hooligans and they're guilty and all this, and then you have information right there. Like, oh, wait a minute. Well, this DNA is not exactly coming up. And it seems like you might be having some sort of conversation trying to downplay this or hide this in the paperwork. Uh, like is what I'm saying. Does that make sense? Am I misinterpreting? Well, again, um, he was not forthright about it, and whether he um, and that was probably a tactical mistake on his part. Um, uh, uh, he, but he didn't hide it from them. He gave it to them. Uh, you know, I don't know whether. You know, this is all pre-trial stuff, right? Uh, obviously, this was all going to come out at trial and be part of the trial. Um, but he uh, authorized the DNA uh, uh, examinations and, and analysis, and they turned over the results to the defense. And that's how they discovered exactly what you just said. Uh, is it, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a prosecutor. I'm not a defense attorney. Should he have uh, uh, highlighted it? Uh, you know, I think his argument to me was, hey, uh, uh, DNA analysis is a relatively new thing. And um, a, a lot of, um, uh, uh, there have been a lot of rape cases uh, that have been decided uh, before DNA, DNA analysis was available. Uh, and they're based uh, on uh, evidence and testimony, uh, et cetera. And, you know, uh, uh, Crystal uh, Mangum believed that she uh, was uh, sexually assaulted. At the, in the end, you know, having decided that she couldn't tell if she had technically been raped because that requires, uh, you know, penetration uh by penis and uh, uh but there's evidence that maybe something else was put inside her uh and 
you know, she was prepared to testify to that. Um, and, you know, and then it was supposed to go to a jury and there'd be this DNA evidence would obviously be presented too, which, I mean, my supposition is that the, the, the Nifong would have lost at trial. She would have lost at trial and the kids would have been found not guilty. Uh, because I think that uh, DNA evidence, uh, is, uh, dispositive. And on the other hand, as I mentioned, and this never gets brought up either, but, um, Crystal was wearing, uh, uh, uh she was wearing fake fingernails and there was evidence of a struggle and under her, her fake fingernails, uh, blue, you know, uh, came off during the struggle with David Evans and his DNA, yeah, i.e. skin cells. Uh, were found underneath, uh, those, uh, fake fingernails. Now that never came out. Uh, the, you know, the, the defense never made a big deal out of that, of course. You know, so they were selective too. They decided to focus on, and rightly so, uh, the evidence that, you know, uh, cleared their clients, uh, or allegedly cleared or might have cleared their clients at trial. Uh, you know, this fact that there was no DNA evidence, DNA evidence in or on her, but yet under her fingernails, which I guess was not in or on, uh, 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 had D David Evans' uh, DNA. Uh, so certainly it's a little question that David Evans was in that bathroom, whether uh, Reed Seligman and Colin Finnerty were in that bathroom. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, uh, Crystal said they were there, but I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure she, maybe she doesn't know the answer to that either anymore. They know who was in that bathroom. There were obviously people in that bathroom. Uh, David Evans was in that bathroom. Uh, and as uh, Bob Steele told me, something happened in that bathroom that none of us will be uh, proud of. Uh, uh, you know, look, uh, you know, pre-trial machinations back and forth, you know, who, who knows what's the right thing to do or not to do. Uh, he, he turned over what he had to the defense. That's how they found it. And this would have come out at trial, but guess what? There was no trial. They were indicted, but there's no trial. Again, that doesn't happen. That you can't. I think you can't name another case where that happened, and yet it happened. And the, uh, turned over the state bar. You know, the, the defense attorneys got the state bar all revved up. They went after Nifong. He had to recuse himself. The case got turned over to Roy Cooper. Secret four-month investigation declares them innocent. Okay, well, that has nothing to do with justice. Nothing. That's not our justice system. That's not the way the justice system works. Now, I'm not saying that they would have won, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, there was no trial, and we'll never know what happened. And they got $20 million to shut up. And, you know, four 60 Minutes pieces and one 30 by 30 on ESPN all took the side of the kids. And their parents. Did they get cop, uh, compensated? Do you know for the um, fantastic lies? That's the ESPN documentary. Did they get compensated for that too? Their participation in it? I don't. I don't know. I didn't. I mean, I got they they optioned they optioned my book. I got some money for that, and then they tossed my book on the floor and ran over it with a bulldozer, <laughs> telling me they would never do that. Wow, that is tremendous. Wow, that is amazing. That is amazing. Totally kicked out of the film. Wow. <laughs> Just, uh... Cutting room floor. Cutting room floor. 
not laughing at you. I didn't even know. I'm glad. learning more as we go. Listen, nobody knows. Nobody knows. You know, they they. I, I sat down to watch a you know a, a final cut game before you know three months before they released it on ESPN. Watched it with my son, one of my sons, and you know was in disbelief as I watched. Couldn't believe it. They didn't tell me that they'd cut me out. In fact, you know, they promised me they would never throw me under the bus, but they did. They cut a deal with the parents. It's all about the parents and their side of the story. Wow. Graceful. Wow. They left. I noticed that you can't, when I was, I went back and I watched the documentary as I was uh, reading your book. And I know you in the book, you pointed out that, again, not going back innocent, that a number of these white lacrosse players, even a number of the white males who were not indicted, they did have previous charges related to alcohol and some other things that were deferred uh, in terms of jurisprudence. If you do something like, oh, okay, stay out of trouble, blah, 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 and we'll forget all about this. That for a number of them, those charges, they were resentenced. Like, oh, wait a minute. This counts as enough that we're going to come back in and reevaluate from the previous case. And I think this is even one of the uh, young men who was indicted uh, where he had some problems in Georgetown, some alleged incident about calling somebody gay and Right. All the rest of this. Colin Kennedy. Yes, sir. They mm-hmm. left all of that out of the documentary, and I thought that was so important. Like, well, wait a minute now. One, just how many folks are we talking about and having these charges reinstated? And again, before we go running about talking about, hey, they were innocent and railroaded, like, well, dang, they got previous charges. Like, shouldn't that be included? Like, do you have any thoughts about why that was totally left out of the documentary? Because they didn't want to tell the true story. They wanted to the party line, obviously the parents must have said, hey, if, if you want our participation in this film, uh, then there can be no Bill Cohen and no reference to his book and his you know, suggestion that, you know, uh, it, it was not, uh, our kids were not as angelic as we think they were and that they were, you know, railroaded. They don't want to know the truth. You know, they don't. They were acting like parents, protecting their cubs. Uh, you know, as a parent myself, I can understand that. But that has nothing to do with justice or the truth. Mm. Context of white supremacy, author of The Price of Silence. $20 million, like... Man, see, now that's what I mean when I said the Scottsboro Boys, because that comes up in the book often. Anybody who's listening, uh, who's listened to the cows for any number of time, we talk about metaphors all the time. So many different people, especially like as this story kind of evolved from 2006, when more people were beginning to doubt the accusations and taking the side of the lacrosse players uh, and said, oh, man, they've been railroaded. Oh, man, this is just like the Scottsboro Boys. This is just like the Scottsboro and We already mentioned Atlanta. I'm sure they probably got a spot at the uh, museum Mr. Stevenson constructed down there. I know they got a spot. Uh, but these are young nine uh, young black children uh, who were falsely accused uh, of raping these two you, uh, white girls. They could have been killed. Like, they could have been lynched easily at the time and or they could have got the death penalty at the time wrongfully convicted took many years to pardon them and all the rest of it really sad story rosa parks 
she worked on their case for the Scottsboro Boys. Really important moment in American history. Do you, Mr. Cohen, do you, what do you make of the comparisons, these young white lacrosse players comparing them to the Scottsboro Boys? Do you think that's an accurate comparison? Well, uh, I don't pretend to be uh, an expert on on sort of what uh, ha- happened there. Um, obviously, it's a, a different you know si- situation and different uh, set of facts. Uh, uh, you know these. Kids, uh, you know, they, they were indicted by a grand jury uh, after the police uh, presented uh, the story of what happened to them. Um, you know, we don't know uh, what will happen because there was no trial. You know, there, were, there was a trial of the Scottsboro Boys. Um, there was no trial here. We won't know what happened. We'll never know what happened. Um, but, uh, you know, I just go back to repeatedly what I was uh, told and my, uh, uh, you know, even if you don't believe what the police reported uh, in their non-testimonial order, uh, which is how they got the uh, judges' uh, approval to get the force the DNA uh, swabs to occur. Um, you know, something happened in that bathroom that we would not be proud of. The whole incident, right? Drinking all day, uh, inviting, paying strippers to come and strip at 11 o'clock at night thinking that they'd strip for like an hour. They only strip for like five minutes, thinking, you know, we'll, we'll pay them like $400 each, and then they, uh, and they'll strip for like an hour. And then when they only strip for five minutes, because the whole thing descends into chaos with racial slurs being uh, uh, flung right and left, and then they're pissed off that they paid these women that much money, and they only dance for five minutes. I mean, give me a break. I mean, it's such terrible behavior, uh, even for, you know, privileged white kids. Uh, there's just no excuse for it. And, uh, you know, they've spent the last uh, 16 years uh, trying to uh, preserve in amber a very different version of what happened. So... Again, I just say I hope nobody's listening to this because I don't need to be, to be honest. Twenty million dollars. Just keep thinking. Again, Daryl Howard. He actually went to trial, was convicted, yeah. served twenty-three years, and then oh yeah. Right, but he didn't bring a lawsuit against Duke University that they wanted to have go away. So this is what happens when you, you know, Duke did a lot of things wrong. They owned the home where the party took place. Uh, they 
tried to cover it up and make it go away. And, and that was a bad strategy. And um, canceled the season. You know, they, they just did so many things ineptly uh, that, you know, to make it all go away. And so that the story would literally stop being on the front pages of the newspaper. They paid, you know, $20 million each to these three kids. And then they paid more money to the, much less, but more to the other players too. Hmm. You said you done the documentary. I'd be upset about that too. If we, you know, we're, we already made this deal and you're supposed to include me, you did all these interviews and everything. And then I'm totally, di- and then you don't even tell me that, you know, Never mind. We're not even going to include you. I'd be furious. That's it. Well, well and, and as I said to them along the way, if you're going to throw me under the bus, just tell me. Just let me know. Oh, no. We never No, We're not going to do that. We're going to stick to your book. We're going to stick to it. They threw me under the bus without telling me. And these are two filmmakers who had won Academy Awards, two Academy Awards for their documentary films. Hmm. I would be hot. I get it. I, I wrote a Vanity Fair article about I'm so, say that they, one more time. I'm what sorry. they did to me. I said, said I wrote, wrote an, article. A, an article in Vanity Fair about what they did to me. Oh, okay, okay. I'll post it for folks if they're curious. Uh, I'll post it on online and such. With I thought before the program, I was watching. You did a talk uh, down in Durham at the old bookstore. Uh, you already told us you were at Duke Columbus. Mm-hmm. You went back to the old bookstore and looked like it was a packed house. Uh, lots of uh, wall-to-wall <laughs> folks were revved up and, and ready to ask questions. They didn't seem like they were, you know, ready to tar and feather you and beat you down. You seemed like you were you were well-received. Were they upset about what you had said? First of all, there's not one Duke student in that audience. Hmm. Were they affiliated um, with the university? Were they like staff, or they totally just no? No, it's just a, a bookstore um, near Duke campus, near Duke's East campus, um, and uh, uh, you know Durham. Durham, you know, it's college town, so it can be like you know, you know, a, a New Haven or a Cambridge. You know, there's a certain element of people who are, you know, kind of progressives, and then I think I got a crowd of progressives to come to come hear me speak. There were no Duke students. I don't think there were any Duke administrators. There, there were no parents. There, there were no people getting ready to come after me. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see the. Uh, if folks have questions, I know we have folks in North Carolina, Star 6-1, we'll get your question to Mr. Cohen. You also, in the book, you have lots of details kind of about the environment that was happening uh, at the time and people coming out to do these protests, <laughs> coming out to bang on pots and all that during the middle of all this. Uh, you included the uh, New Black Panther Party uh, attempted to come on campus uh, during the midst of all this and give their speeches and everything. They wanted to give an investigation and all the rest of it. I thought it was Crystal Mangum's father black male he did uh an interview and they i guess were asking him about the comparison between the new black panther party and he compared them to the ku klux klan he said they're the same as the klansmen the father said and i just i stood uh shocked um 
I don't do you think that's an accurate comparison? The Klansmen and the new Black Panther Party, regardless of how they conducted themselves in all this? I don't think you can compare anybody to Klansmen. Uh, I don't know much about the new Black Panther Party, but I don't think you can compare anybody to Klansmen. Me either. Um, and I hear this all the time. I've heard this is like not the first time that I said that's why I asked you about it. I hear this regularly. Well, someone will compare uh, the new Black Panther Party or Nation of Islam. That'll be another one. They're just like the Klan. Well, they're worse as the You know, they're the same as the Klan. And are you serious? Like, I have never heard of the new Black Panther Party going out and uh, committing terrorism, bombing churches, killing people. Uh, getting away with it for decades or permanently for I've never heard of them having a reputation uh, of that nature and again this who is confused about racism white supremacy anywho uh, with the uh, I mean, who, who, who you talk so much about people being upset uh, the folks at Duke you're a Duke alumnus the folks at Duke being upset these white lacrosse players parents being upset the parents being upset themselves you got kicked out of the documentary film who exactly did you intend this to book to be for like who was your target audience like hey they want to read The Price of Silence well I mean this was such a all-encompassing kind of media event month after month on you know on cable news channels uh mary grace or whatever her name is mary you know nancy grace nancy grace Grace, yeah who had her own tv show night after night after night i don't i don't you know i don't write books uh can you hear me yes yes sir we can hear you yes sir yeah, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't write uh, books uh, 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 so that uh, you know, to, for a target audience. I don't say, you know, who am I writing this for? Uh, I'm writing it for a certain audience. I write a book because it interests me, and I want to get to the bottom of what happened. So that's why I wrote the book, not because I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get all these people. I mean, who cares? Who cares about lacrosse? Nobody. I mean, you know, so, I mean, that's not why I wrote it. I wrote it because I wanted to, as I told you, I wanted to figure out what really happened here. And uh, uh, this is the way I could figure out what really happened by taking a blank sheet of paper, uh, free of biases and and preconceived notions, and, and go where the facts took me tell the story of what really happened and uh that was something that um i thought people would be interested in and uh, you know it was a bestseller so i guess people were interested in it but uh there were a lot of people who had no interest in it because uh and they had to you know uh put me down uh and uh, and discredit the work uh, without reading it because they couldn't handle what potentially was in that book and what it said about their kids and about the way the situation was handled. 
context of white supremacy, Mr. William H. Cohen. I see the folks who dialed in. I will get your hands. I just, I am not a scholar of jurisprudence. So bear with me if I am minimizing that, hey, this should really stand out to everyone. The fact that you had individuals who were indicted for a crime, a felony no less, and there was no trial. Like, hey, I'm thinking, like, have I seen cases before where someone gets indicted for something and then there's evidence or something happens where the charges get dismissed? Like, does that happen, Mr. Cohen, where sometimes a charges or a case gets dismissed just because of evidence or, or things unfold in a way? And that's what should happen. It's just the case gets dismissed. Does that happen? Look, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it happens. Uh, I can't think of a case where there's an indictment. Yeah, cases get thrown out all the time before they get to the grand jury uh, indictment stage. But, I mean, you know, could you imagine uh, if, uh, you know, say Donald Trump gets indicted by the Manhattan grand jury that's been investigating him since July and gets indicted and then the case gets thrown out? What, what would be the reaction? from people if that were to happen. Oh, it just gets thrown out. No. If you're indicted, the next step is to go to trial. And each 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 side presents their case in front of a jury. And whatever happens, happens. So, you know, I can't think of another case where that happens. I'm not a legal scholar, but I can't like maybe that doesn't mean anything. I can't think of another case either. I am trying to think of, you know, prominent cases. OJ Simpson. <laughs> if they had just come and announce like, ah, you know, oh, never mind. <laughs> he didn't do it like never mind. That did just forget about all that. Never mind. Never mind. Like I, I mean, think people would have been pissed. Jesse Smollett in 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 <laughs> Okay. Jesse Smollett got indicted, and then it looked like they were going to throw out the case, but then they did not, and then he was convicted. Good Jesse point. Smollett was as close as, as close as I ever could could find, close as I ever could find. But then they went through with it, and. At a trial, and he was convicted, and he's going to be sentenced on March 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 tenth. This, you know, they, the the state bar of North Carolina, which had never gone after a sitting DA in its history, went after Nifong, for, forced him to recuse himself. The case gets turned over to the state attorney general, Roy Cooper. Secret four month investigation declared innocent. What if what if what if uh, what if they were black kids instead of white kids and that would happen? Anarchy on Tobacco Road. Gee, <laughs> 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 that's a good Jesse Smollett touche. That is a great current example because I do remember that it seemed like they were not going to prosecute and then it changed their mind and said, "Oh no, conviction." Moving on to the sentencing. If we have anybody, if you can think of a case where there was an indictment, charges were dismissed with no trial, 
let us know because I can't think of it. Like, I'm not a legal scholar, so that doesn't say anything. Maybe they got, you know, billions of these episodes on court TV where this has happened, but I can't think of one. Uh, let's see. The person who dialed in, retired firefighter in Florida. Uh, if you had a question for Mr. William Cohen, author of The Price of Silence, not in the documentary Fantastic Lies, uh, you should be with us. Oh, I thought I had it. Let's see. Let me try that again. All right, let's try it again. Retired firefighter in Florida. Did you have a question? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Greetings, everyone. Uh, first question, uh, what uh, the guest, to the guest, of course, uh, what did you want the reader to get out of your your book, especially a uh, non-white reader who is racially classified as black, what would you want for that person a person to get out of your book? I, I, I just, I don't care who, who the reader would be. I just wanted the reader to know exactly what happened, not to talk about fantastic lies, not the fantastic lies that had been perpetrated uh, in the media uh, between March of 2006 and April 2007 and beyond. So, uh, you know, and that still are. Shocked by the fact that there was no trial. That somehow everybody thinks there was a trial. You could ask 99 people out of 100. They all think there was a trial and the boys were found not guilty. No, it wasn't. So I was shocked how that happened. Because that doesn't happen. That's not the way the system works. How did they do that? How were they able to do that? That's what I tried to figure out. How were they able to get the state bar, which had basically had no cojones, to suddenly develop cojones and, and go after Mike Nyquam. Brilliant strategy, legal strategy, but how did they do that? And how did that work? How did that get Mike Nyquam to recuse himself and then Roy Cooper to take over the investigation and, you know, do it secretly and declare them innocent? And then when I tried to FOIA or talk to him or his investigators about what happened, no. They'll shut you down to this day. And now he's governor. Probably trying to hope to get his third term or second term or fifth term, whatever he's been governor for five years. So, you know, I wanted people to know the truth. Okay. So, uh, I'm, I'm on the, the assumption, correct me if I'm wrong, that, you are a professional writer who is not interested in being a uh, white person attempt uh, white person practicing counter countering racism. I'm a journalist. I'm an investigative journalist. I have no agenda. My agenda is the truth of the situation that I'm writing about. I'm sorry if that offends people along the way. I'm not 
uh, I'm not a crusader. Okay. Last question. Uh, have you did any follow-up research on the, uh, on the, uh, white male, uh, lacrosse players since that was way back in 2006. Have you did any follow-up on on them? And if you did, can you tell us something about some of them? Sure. The three, the three, I mean, last time I checked, which was probably a year or so ago, I mean, the three have uh, done just fine. Uh, They've done what? uh, Just, just fine. They're just, they're just fine. Now one, David Evans, I believe, works in uh, private equity in New York. Uh, uh, Colin Trinity, last time I checked, was a broker at, at Deutsche Bank uh, in New York. And uh, Reed Seligman, uh, I believe, is an attorney in uh, in Atlanta. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. Uh, let's see, our caller, other side of the country, uh, Bay Area Mom. Uh, if you had a question for Mr. Cohen, you should be with us as well. Did you have a question? Hi, thank you for um, taking my call. Greetings to you and the guests and the people on the line. So I remember um, with uh, the black, the new Black Panther Party in the very beginning when the trial first happened, they used to be around. They were around. I even remember um, Al Sharpton um, did a walk uh, when that first, first happened. I remember that uh, the attorney, he, the Malik Shabazz was going to be the attorney um, to represent them, and then all of a sudden he was denounced. I totally remember the fingernails left in the bathroom um, because they didn't clean up the the place, they were they got that warning call from um, someone at the police station to let them know that they had been reported and to kind of clean up, and they never cleaned up. So the nails, the purse, and all that was left behind. My question is because of the way the trial, or not the trial, because of the way the case went. Do you think everything that has happened to the black victim thereafter could be because of the way she was treated during and afterward, even with uh, however her boyfriend was killed and the she's in jail and she'll probably never get out. Uh, I just, I'm just wondering, do you think that had how she was treated, how everything was handled? Do you think that has anything to do with, or could have had anything to do with how she, um, her life thereafter, and um, thank you. I'll mute my line. Well, I, I think you know as I <clears throat> talk about in the book, as I spent a fair amount of time sharing with the readers, Crystal Mangum's be- background. She had a, a, a horrific upbringing. Uh, things that happened to her in Durham, uh, you know, are almost too difficult to discuss. Uh, but she did her best to overcome those things. She was a single mother. She was enrolled at North Carolina Central University in Durham, um, and she was trying to make extra money. 
by, you know, dancing. Um, so this was a woman who, um, you know, you know, the world had not been kind to, uh, for a very long time before this, uh, incident. Um, and I, you know, I talked to her, um, uh, after she was in, in jail in Durham for accused of killing her boyfriend, but before her trial. So, uh, um, you know, I, I mean, with me, she, uh, you know, maintained, uh, that it was self-defense, um, things I've read about that incident suggest self-defense, uh, but whatever, you know, I didn't, uh, study that trial at all. So I don't know what the evidence was, but she was convicted. Uh, I have to believe uh, that, uh, all that happened as a result of the Duke lacrosse case, uh, had to have, um, uh, further, uh, uh, made her life even more difficult than it already, uh, had been. So, um, you know, that whole, uh, uh, incident, uh, whatever she believed happened, uh, uh, the, the, uh, publicity she had to endure, uh, as a result of making these, uh, uh, allegations, uh, uh, and then the way the whole thing unwound, I would have had to believe, uh, uh took its toll on her. Um, but whether it was related, uh, ended up having some role, uh, in, uh, her, uh, this killing, I, I don't, I don't know. Much obliged, Bay Area mom. Reginald Day, uh, her former boyfriend who was killed at 46. Reginald Day. Uh, let's see. The color, Z's mom. Uh, if you had a question for Mr. Cohen, you should be with us. Z's mom. Hi. Thank you um, for taking my call. Um, I think my question was kind of answered, but do you have any information on um, did Crystal on um crystal's family and um what happened to her family after um the, they were i guess after the i guess the trial never happened and also um after this current after her currently being in prison now uh, i be- i believe her father has passed away uh I'm not sure about her mother. Again, I, she grew up in Durham, had, had numerous run-ins with the police and with people who treated her extraordinarily badly. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't think she got a lot of support from her family, but I think that she... Uh, tried uh, very hard to overcome all of that um, and was a good student at North Carolina Central and, you know, might actually have overcome her circumstances um, 
if all this had not happened, but it did, so... It did. That answer your question, these mom? Yes, I did. Thank you. Grand. Uh, Kwaku, did you have a question from Mr. Cohen? Uh, Kwaku, uh, you should be with us. Uh, greetings um, to the caller, to Gus, and the other people on the line, I guess the guests as well. Uh, my first question is, um, sorry, hold up. My first question is, um, uh, do you think the white males belong in jail? <laughs> the, the white males you're talking about, three white males? Do they belong in jail? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't really have any way. You know, we don't, we don't know the answer to that because uh, there was no trial. Um, you know, D David Evans, you know, DNA was under her fingernails. There was doesn't seem to be any evidence that the other two kids were in the bathroom but I don't know you know I don't know what uh, you know I don't know what would have happened with testimony or whatever from other players what they would have said I don't know hard to, you know it's hard to know what would have happened without without the trial I see okay uh, my next question uh, thank you for that response uh, my next question is do you believe uh Crystal, the female, was treated correctly in comparison to the white males? No, because she didn't have her day in court. Okay. Um, why uh, Why do you think, um, I, I guess ultimately, why do you think she didn't have her day in court? Because the North Carolina State Bar went after the district attorney and, you know, uh, accused him of wrongdoing and he had to defend himself in front of the state bar to, you know, try to prevent getting disbarred, which he did not succeed at. He ended up getting disbarred and losing his position as district attorney. And to defend himself, it was a, it was a trial. It was like a trial in front of the state bar. He had to, you know, uh, recuse himself from the case, give up the case. Uh, and then they gave the case to the state attorney general, uh, and, uh, you know, he could have tried the case, but instead of trying the case, he conducted a secret four-month investigation and to try to figure out what happened from his perspective and used the State Bureau of Investigation to, to you know, do all this investigation, which he never made public. And, you know, one day stood up at a press conference, issued a short report, and declared them innocent. And that was the end of it. Uh, so, you know, that's not the justice system. That's, a, you know, that's private justice. That's elite justice. That's privileged justice. That's not justice. And then when you block 
you know, it'd be one thing, okay, you do this and then you make, you know, all of your investigation, your depositions, your evidence, whatever, you make it available to people like me who asked for it. But no, they didn't do that. They blocked that from happening and they've never spoken about it. Roy Cuban has never given an interview about this. And in fact, has been elected governor of North Carolina. I see. Okay. Um, and my last question. Um, so I, for me, you know, I classify myself as a victim of racism. I often see, you know, a lot of cases where there are white males who are committing egregious crimes, such as raping, uh, rape, um, murder, etc. You know, mi heavily mistreating people, mostly classified as non-white. And, you know, they either get a slap on, oh, I guess, a slap on the wrist, you know, a probation, community service. So I guess with, with this with this trial specifically, I, I, do you think, um, like, non-white people should have expected a different outcome? You know, these basically these white males walking away. I mean, there's no, I mean, again, as Gus and I were talking about, I, I can't think of another example of something like this happening where some you know there's an indictment and then there's no trial so i don't think anybody could have expected that there'd be an indictment uh and, and no trial I, I think you know it's you know there's an indictment there's trial and then a trial you know it can go either way so you know depending on what the evidence is and what's presented and you know my gut would probably be at the end of all this that they would have gone away gotten away uh, they would have been uh, found not guilty and that would have been, you know, the end of it. Uh, and, you know, that's the way it goes. Sometimes people are found not guilty. Sometimes people are found guilty. And But, you know, each side has its day in court. Uh, there was none of that this time. Uh, and I think that's a major flaw and shortcoming. And people don't realize it. Um, uh, you know, again, if you were to just take... Uh, the noise in the media for the first six months of all of this, you would have thought the kids would have got strung up, uh, you know, and found guilty. Uh, and then the, then the narrative completely changed. The defense uh, changed the narrative uh, completely. And, you know, next thing you know, it's Crystal the one that's guilty and, and Nifong are the guilty ones. And the kids are, you know, angelic. So, uh, you know, again, that's why I wrote the book to try to figure out what really happened. So I don't know what would have happened or might have happened. We'll never know what happened. Truth is, we'll never know what happened in that bathroom. We'll never know. We know what people with extreme uh, interest in the outcome of this situation uh, have to say about it. Uh, but... Uh, you know, the parents are very clear in their belief of what happened. The kids haven't said a peep, so we assume that they agree with their parents. Uh, we know that 60 Minutes agrees uh, with uh, the parents. We know that the 30 for 30 filmmakers uh, decided to take the parents' side. Uh, uh, we know that uh, various other people who've written about this uh, incident, who I think were in fact paid by the parents to write about it, we know how they came out. 
I'm the only one that's written about it, uh, you know, objectively and uh, without bias and without any preconceived motions. And I'm the one that gets, uh, you know, vilified every time I talk about it. I see. Um, I just have, I just have one, one, one more quick question, and a yes or no is fine. Uh, do you believe that racism, white supremacy, was being practiced against uh, Crystal? I think a lot of things were said against Crystal and the other woman who was non-white that were truly regrettable. So is that um, a yes or a no? I mean, I think that, yeah, there were racist slurs and statements made, yes. See. Okay, thank you. Before I nab B in Santa Rosa, who were some of the folks that some of the uh, white parents of the lacrosse players uh, paid to write about this event from their perspective? Uh, you know, this guy, uh, Casey Johnson, uh, who's a uh, conservative like, uh uh, writer uh, and uh, 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 he wrote uh, he had a blog uh, uh, you know that covered this uh, extensively called Durham and Durham in Wonderland and then uh, he wrote uh, this book with Stuart Taylor called uh, Until Proven Innocent you know, political correctness and the shameful injustices of the Duke lacrosse case, you know, which uh, came out uh, uh, pretty quickly uh, thereafter. And this was a complete, uh, 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 yeah, I'm pretty sure that they were paid by the parents and uh, to write that book. And, uh, uh, you know, they just completely botched it and then when uh once when i was uh on the diane ream show uh on npr talking about this my book uh uh you know casey johnson dialed up and uh, uh diane ream let him on the air and then on national radio he he just went after me and attacked me for my book and my writing about what happened. Again, my book is a book where I took a, an investigative journalist's approach, taking a blank sheet of paper uh, and uh, uh, starting at the beginning and going to the end. Uh, and, and figuring out what had happened here. I'm the only one that's done that. B in Santa Rosa. Did you have a question for Mr. Cohen, B in Santa Rosa? Uh, yeah, salutations to everyone. Um, I have a couple of questions. Uh, my first question is, what do you mean when you say 
progressive people showed up to your book signing in Durham. I lived in California my whole life, and people have been using the word progressive to describe people, and I haven't seen anything progressive. Well, that's, I mean, that's a, a word that uh, we use in the Northeast. Uh, just open-minded people, people who haven't made up their minds about the case, people who didn't have agendas, people who weren't coming to attack me for taking a journalistic approach, people who were willing to, who were intellectually curious, who were willing to be open-minded and, and listen to somebody who had studied this thing for a long time and wrote about it and was talking about it. Okay. Um, I mean, it could, it could have been, you know, if, 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 if the parents of the lacrosse kids had showed up, it would have been ugly very quickly. <laughs> okay. Um, next question. Um, do your book discuss the people who are behind the scenes um, pulling the strings paying people off or anything like that or talking to the judge? Well, there was no judge, so, because there was no trial, uh, so, yeah. but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it talked about how, talks about how the, the, the defense attorneys essentially work behind the scenes to get the state bar to go after Night Fong. Yes. Okay. And last question, um, what is your definition of justice? And I'm, and I'm mute my line. I mean, fairness. I mean, people treated fairly, regardless of their skin color, their economic uh, positions, uh, their views, their their beliefs, their religion. I mean, I think that's what America is supposed to be all about. But obviously, we know in reality, it's not like that because. If it were, you know, Donald Trump would be long indicted by now, but he hasn't been. Uh, you know, there would be, you know, some of the uh, people that Gus talked about at the top of the show would not have spent all those years in prison for crimes they didn't commit. Uh, you know, there would have been a trial in this case, and who knows what would have happened. Maybe Crystal would have won. Maybe the boys would have won, but there wasn't. So... That's not justice. Having people in prison who, for crimes they didn't commit is not justice. Having former presidents of the United States causing insurrections and being, you know, cheating on his taxes and say nothing of general level of embarrassment and disgust that he perpetrated for four years. I mean, there would be justice for people like him and his family who did what they've done. But there hasn't been yet. So that's not justice either. So you know, justice could be kind of like, probably not a great analogy, but like pornography. You know, you know it when you see it. You know justice when you see it. You know injustice when you see it. Thank you. Much obliged, D.N. Santa Rosa. Uh, I guess before 
we uh, let you enjoy the rest of your Monday evening. I guess it's a holiday today, so-called, so they tell me. So in your opinion, uh, Mr. Cohen, do you think uh, Mike Nifon, do you think he should have been uh, disbarred for his conduct in the Duke lacrosse case? Absolutely not. Wow. Why not? Because I don't think he did anything wrong. He he did not hide evidence. He turned it over. He didn't highlight. I don't know that his job to highlight uh, evidence. He he's not the one that indicted the boys. Grand jury indicted the boys. He's not the one that presented in front of the grand jury. He's not the one that signed the non-testimonial order that forced the boys to get their DNA tests. That was a judge. He's not the assistant district attorney who wrote the non-testimonial order. He's not the policeman who did the investigation that led to the evidence that was included in the non-testimonial order. He just uh, did his own investigation leading up to the indictments and decided to uh, seek a grand jury indictment, which, again, he wasn't present at uh, and had the police present to. And then he was just preparing for trial. Uh, and this, this idea that uh, somehow he was doing this for his own political gain, I do not agree with. That there's no evidence of that other than what people have manufactured. Uh, you know, he is. He, he could have probably been more forthcoming with the DNA evidence and more declarative. Okay, so he probably gets dinged for that, but he's probably not the first district attorney to to, to, to do anything you know like that. I mean, it all obviously would have all come out at trial. And the other thing he was accused of was you know, spending hours, uh, 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 you know, on the Nancy Grace show and then other, you know, using the media to, to make his case. Uh, you know, he told me the reason he did that was because uh, there was a, you know, the blue silence that came down and no one was coming forward. Uh, none of the boys or anybody on the lacrosse team was coming forward to say what actually happened. He was trying to encourage them to, 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 to come and talk to him and tell him what happened. And so that's why he was uh, on those shows night after night. And so that, to me, is a bogus uh, charge as well. But, you know, uh, nobody wants to, to hear that Mike Nifong uh, didn't deserve his fate. Uh, uh, there's no constituency for that. There's a huge constituency to blame him uh, and to blame Crystal. And, that, you know, that's, that's what you have. You have uh, the rich and powerful and connected people. Uh, blaming Crystal uh, and blaming uh, Nifon. And uh, the case is far more nuanced uh, than that. And, of course, nobody wants to hear that. Uh, and they don't like it when I say it. So I hope nobody's listening. <laughs> oh, no. I, I would love to ask Daryl Howard. And his wife, Nanny Howard. And I think their story is amazing. Hopefully somebody will write a book on them, too. Um, they stayed married. He was in prison for 23 years. They got married in 1998 and stayed married until he was released. And it took almost 20 years for them to like, wow. Um, but I would love to ask Daryl Howard and his wife, Nanny Howard, do you think Michael Nifong should have been disbarred and see what they think? Like, uh, I'm sure they feel like he should have been. And I don't know the facts in that case. 
But I found Michael Nightbaum to be uh, honorable and straightforward and <clears throat> just wanted to do his job to the best of his ability. Now, maybe in that case, the Howard case, he totally screwed up. I, I literally do not know. Hmm. With I know. The... Life's complicated. Oh, for sure. For sure. Lots to process, particularly in this case, system of white supremacy in general. One of the other big players that you write on in this book, Officer Gottlieb, uh, you kind of describe him as being this white officer who, we say, had it out for the Duke uh, students or, or athletes or what have you, where he had a lot of arrests and what have you, more so than other officers who uh, patrolled the area. Uh, and I guess people kind of viewed him as maybe a Say villain in all of this too and saying see you had all these officers who didn't even follow procedure and they had some sort of uh, vendetta you know out against these lacrosse players and that's how this gets st- got started and Nifong and Officer Gottlieb were a part of this. Uh, he ended up committing suicide in 2014 my memory is accurate. Um, do you think that had anything to do with the, all the controversy and stress from this case? Speculating I know. Well, I mean, look, you know, Gottlieb was, remember I talked about how there were all these parties and in the neighborhood and students were, you know, told to cut it out or, you know, be more discreet, not have raucous parties at two in the morning in this, you know, uh, family neighborhood. But they, you know, continued to ignore that request. And Gottlieb, you know, was an officer who kept going back and, you know, sometimes arresting some of these kids because of this. And, you know, I think he'd, I think he'd been, I think he was fed up uh, with the bad behavior. And then this happened and he was, but I don't, there was no conspiracy. And I don't know why he committed suicide. I don't, but, uh, and that's still, but this idea, the idea that there was a conspiracy, you know, between, Nifong and Gottlieb and the police. No. Okay. 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 Uh, they got, Officer Gottlieb committed suicide. He's in the documentary Fantastic Lives. Mr. Cohen wrote a whole book, 700 pages, and nope. <laughs> Not to rub salt in or anything, but Officer Gottlieb is prominently featured in the documentary now that I'm coming back to my memory um, last one I wanted to make sure I get in you you quote I didn't even know that Crystal Mangum uh, wrote a book I had no idea I thought I was kind of somewhat paying attention to all this and maybe I just missed that maybe other people didn't know either but you quote uh, like regular like some big chunks uh, kind of in the middle of your book from her talking about her growing up in North Carolina, you already were talking to some of the listeners about some of the difficult circumstances, uh, and you include uh, the really graphic details Listen. that, Listen. man, uh, about the uh, rape, rapes, plural, rapes, plural, that she experienced, uh, that she reports Gangway. from the, uh, her black boyfriend, who was substantially older than her, I think even older than 18, seven years older than her, she was 14 at the time, um, and one of them is, is solo, and then it's a, a group uh, rape uh, from these his like black friends or yeah friends I guess is the way you describe it. Um, why did you think it was so important to to include those really uh, gruesome scenes from her book, Crystal Mangum's book? Just the 
facts, man. You know, it's what happened in her life. Obviously had a huge effect on her and her life and the way her life turned out and wasn't her fault and just just brutal and sad and criminal and she wrote about it so that made it available for me to access how could I avoid it how could I not write about it I'm writing a book about Crystal Mangum and what happened to her how could I not include that very central uh, uh, incidents in her growing up. Her detractors point to uh, this allegation on saying, one, now this is the second time that we've got an allegation from Crystal Mangum where she says that three people, three males, raped her that's one and then two with this previous allegation i think this is 1994 if my memory is correct uh they said with this allegation she also didn't follow through she made the report it wasn't reported at all and then her boyfriend says hey you should report this to get some closure she talks to him about it and then she goes to the police but she doesn't follow through with the report and then they track down the accused and they fervently deny you know this did not happen. Uh, what What do you make of that? The detractors saying, "See, she's got a history of making these kind of questionable allegations, and then not even following through with the charges." Well, again, uh, in this case, she made the allegations, and she did follow through on the charges. She had a chance to drop the whole thing, and she didn't want to. And you know, it's. You know, she still didn't get her day in court. Uh, I mean, I don't think you and I can appreciate, you know, the trauma that uh, a rape victim uh, goes through and, uh, you know, whether or not they feel they can come forward and, and, you know, want to relive that in a court of law. I mean, you you know, you can see what happened with Crystal in this case. I mean, uh, that kind of scrutiny and publicity, uh, you know, uh, most people uh, don't want to uh, experience that, uh, even though they have been uh, victimized and and uh, brutalized. And, uh, you know, uh, so I don't know. I don't know how to answer the question. I don't think it's a fair uh, to lump them together to show that she has a pattern of this. I mean, in this case, she uh, brought the charges. She uh, identified her who she thought were the perpetrators, and there was a grand jury indictment. And if there had been a trial, she would have had to present her evidence, and either uh, it would have swayed the jury or not and instead we don't have uh, a trial and as we're both sitting here scratching our heads trying to name another time when that happened we can't do it so that ain't justice maybe she would have lost probably would have lost I don't know it seemed like she was heading towards losing, but, I, but you know, who knows? And you know what? If she lost, she lost. She had a day of court. She tried, you know, 
she thought something, you know, whatever. But that's not the same as what really happened. What really happened isn't justice. What really happened is manipulating the justice system for the benefit of people who can do that kind of thing. Do you think three black kids could have done that? <laughs> what if the accuser had been white and, and it would be the three black kids? And the three black kids manipulated the justice system and made the white woman into the victim. In, into the, uh, you know, into the accuser, not the victim. What, are you kidding me? Think that would have happened? I was laughing. I thought you were joking. That's why I was, was chuckling in the background. I, in fact, I was even trying to see, you were saying children, if this had happened to, to three black children who, you know, were accused or what have you, I was trying to say, hey, O.J. Simpson was a star, a millionaire, <laughs> not a child. And if this had happened to O.J. Simpson and they had done this, he had been indicted. And then eh, on second thought. He had a trial. <laughs> it would have been anarchy in Brentwood. Like, are you serious? Like, uh, you've got to be joking. I cannot imagine in any universe. Um yeah, that that is a major point. That's still learning, still learning. That is a major point. Like, yeah, I, I guess for me, the hesitation is Daryl Howard. If there had not been other cases where Nifon was accused Look, of this same sort of misconduct, I probably would feel a little bit differently. Yeah, I don't know the circumstance of the Daryl Howard case. I know it was brought up. Obviously, you know, Daryl Howard didn't do what he was accused of doing. I mean, look, um, it, you know, we have a, we have a justice system. You know, it's flawed. I mean, it's very hard. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for prosecutors because it's a very hard job. It's a very powerful job. Very hard job. You get criticized if you bring cases. You get criticized if you don't bring cases. You get criticized if you bring cases uh, and you win a trial and it wasn't right. You get criticized if you bring trials and you lose and it wasn't right. You know, it's a very powerful, very powerful job. Very powerful. Uh, and, and I... My experience with Mike Nifong was that he was an honorable fellow. He was not out to do anybody any harm. He was out to try to seek justice for Crystal Mangum. And I, and I don't know enough about the other case, but obviously prosecutors make mistakes all the time. That's not an excuse or... You know, for, for for this fellow who spent all those years in prison, it's just horrible. So my heart goes out to him. But it, it's not like, you know, I'm sorry. It's not like, it's not like, you know, Mike Nifong didn't convict him. Hmm. Jury convicted him. <laughs> 
That's our system of justice. It's flawed. But probably, I mean, I mean, it's probably better than biblical justice. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a prosecutor. For sure. I'm not a prosecutor either. I say that, acknowledge that all the time. Like, hey, I'm not a scholar of jurisprudence. Uh, but that is a... a that, I guess that will be something I'll make sure that I add in consistently when folks talk about this, regardless of how you feel, they should have had a trial. There was an indictment. I still haven't thought of another case where someone got indicted and then it got dismissed before we even got to the trial. No jury selection, no none of that. They should have had a trial. Still learning uh, in the system of white supremacy racism. Like, wow. I learned quite a bit. It is a chunky book. Uh, if you, you know, stroll upon it in the bookstore or what have you, like, wow, it is mammoth. Uh, if you pick it up and read it, there is quite a bit about white supremacy racism that you will learn. And even just about this case specifically that was not racist jokes. You'll learn a lot more about Crystal Mangum, a lot about Duke, <laughs> a lot about just even North Carolina and Durham specifically. But quite a bit of info and 20 million dollars don't bury the lead 20 why is it even called that he told us the price of silence 20 million dollars a piece and again daryl howard he had a trial was convicted 23 years and he gets six million dollars Black man, they want to talk about it. Not justice either. There no. you go. There you go. There you. And if we're gonna declare somebody as innocent, in my opinion, it should not be anybody with that Duke lacrosse team. Let's put an innocent on Mr. Daryl Howard since they got DNA evidence that hey, he did not do this. Whoops! And twenty-three years. Like it has been yeah. a hoot. Um, Mr. Cohen, like, I'm so glad I read the book. I'm so glad I was able to even get more information that they booted you out of the documentary and all that. Like, uh, wow, I learned a ton. Yeah, uh, see? That happens. That happens, too. <laughs> it should happen. It should happen. Uh, you get to pick up some information. Uh, well, if you don't see the documentary, you can read the book. and Because they don't have the racist jokes in the documentary. So read the book, The Price of Silence. William H. Cohen, much obliged for hanging out with us this Monday evening, sir. Uh, we will look out for some of your other great writing. Uh, thank you so much and enjoy your evening. Thank you. For sure. Okay. For, for sure. Bye-bye. Context of white supremacy. Wowzers. Black male rapist pops up again right in the middle of the book. And we got the racist joke. Like, I was stunned. Like, uh, just as it went on, like Al Sharpton, like all the things we've talked about for 13 years right here at the Cows, all over this case from beginning to end. And I'd say, wow, this is a case like we could have done this. A well, I guess not that long ago because Mr. Cohen's book, I think, book came out in 2014. I have to look at the copyright again. But I think it came out in 2014. So, like, not too, too long ago. But we could have done this program like some time ago. Right and exact. Just mentioned in Aya Gruber's book. Mr. Uh, Daryl Howard. 
he just got his six million dollars at the end of 2021 in fact it was at about the exact same time i mean like literally days apart when anthony broadwater was exonerated nope not a raping nigger clean that one up mr howard got his six million dollars for whoops 23 years sorry about that blackmail privilege all over the place one thing i will say one that is a huge point if anybody if you listen to the archive or if you're listening live if you can think of a case if you search you put in some time you you know get online and find one someone was indicted case got dismissed never went to trial i can't think of one like I said, it's been a lot of flashy trials that I thought I did have one. And I guess I got confused. I guess the person was never indicted and, you know, that was that. But yeah, I guess, yeah, there should have been a trial. There should have been a trial. Anywho, uh, this is the type of case that I would say lots of folks should study, especially if you live in North Carolina. Like, oh, we you should be a total scholar on this case like read the books watch the documentaries like all of that really crystal examples forgive the pun didn't mean that sorry crystal mango um but really crystal illustration of white supremacy racism in so many different ways uh he talked about their racist conduct before that and i mean how many times do you get an incident where white people go out and I'm making racist comments, racist statements and what have you. And you have a white professor say, hey, they took my class and learned about all of this. We taught them they don't need racial sensitivity. They don't need no type of training or what have you. They don't need Jane Elliott. We already did that. They didn't use it to say, oh, man, we're going to be kindly to the Negros. All the tobacco they picked for us out here in North Carolina. No, 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 no. <laughs> they they took the whole spirit of pitchfork Ben Tillman and said, man, these niggers, thank you for my cotton. What do you say? He said, thank your grandfather for my cotton shirt. Ignorant about racism. That's what they tell me. Not at all. Mr. Cohen said that these were intelligent young men. Got to be smart. They don't bring dummies to dupe. That's what they say. And he even took the words out. He said the racism started immediately. They ordered white strippers. They got non-white strippers. And it was, you know, whoa. And, and they even said they used the line from Monster's Ball. They said it the opposite way, though. They said, I don't split dark oak. And that line is said repeatedly uh, in the book. No aspect of that. And, and again, these are not, what are they, the Donald Trump? and you know all these old white people that are president joe biden all of these elderly white people that are about to, even nancy grace now all of these elderly white people that are about to die and what have these geriatrics and such and say that they are the racist no <laughs> even now all of these duke uh lacrosse players they were like 1920 at the time that all this happened they would be like 30 <laughs> 33 they would still be relatively young right Certainly not grandparents or anything like that by now. Prime of their adult life. Not ignorant about white supremacy racism. All of that said, uh, I have to ponder on that. Like uh, like I said, I guess for me, it is no ponder because like Mike Nifon, like 
with my my former president, not Joe Biden. Well, yeah, he's not former. My former president, not Donald Trump. President Bush, second time, he said, "Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, can't get fooled." Second time around. That's how he said it. He changed it up a little bit, but we got you, President Bush. See, if it had just been a one-time thing, and even that, what I said, I didn't even know about uh, Daryl Howard. I didn't know anything about him. I'd never heard any information. When all this came out 2014, they'd probably been talking for a long time that he didn't do this either, like Vincent Simmons. But I didn't know about this. Uh, the 2014, when he was released, and then when he got all his money at the end of last year. They probably had been saying this. Something's fishy about this case. I didn't do anything. I know the Innocence Project, they had been talking about Mike Nifong and saying, hey, we should look at his other cases. This is not the first time he's done this, I bet, meaning something untoward. I think even Mr. Cohen, he said maybe he wasn't as forthcoming about the DNA evidence. My suspicion, not being forthcoming, obfuscating, I might even say, with evidence that would tend to exculpate the defendant that's the sort of thing that I suspect that if these had been uh, if the accused had been non-white black males especially oh man you got some raggedy North Carolina court appointed attorney they probably would not have been able to wade through that six inches of documents to find oh wait a minute it looks like there's no DNA hey what's going on here they probably would have had a trial. They probably would have got a conviction. So I'm not as sympathetic towards Mike Nithon. Like I said, I would if we can talk to uh, my man, Daryl Howard, black brother. Do you think Mike Nithon should have been disbarred? Nanny Howard, his wife. Do you think Mike Nithon should be disbarred or should have been disbarred and see what they think? Anywho, uh, it's hard for me to process all that's it. It is hard for me to process with the uh, allegations. Not that I mean, hey, we did the whole program. Uh, the whole world is the white man's brothel. All of that said, like, dang, uh, Miss Mangum's story kept switching quite a little bit. Like it started out where she said like 20 people had molested her and then it switched around like it's. It is rough. It is rough uh, to something untoward. That's I think the way he said it. Something incorrect happened. That would be the speculation. How bad it was, what it was, what she actually raped, whatever else. It would be difficult to speculate. And since they didn't have a trial, we didn't get to explore all of this. I do know if it had been a white person and or a non-white person who was being accused and the accuser their accusation kept switching around in fact you could just go to one thing if this person said that it was a rape and then at any point later on you ask and they say that they're not sure about whether or not there was vaginal penetration by a penis I would be li like if this was we were talking about Anthony Broadwater and somebody did that I would be livid if we were talking about Vincent Simmons and the accuser, white or non-white, was saying something like that, we started off, this was a rape, this was 20 people raped me, now we're getting this three people, and now you're not sure if there was vaginal penetration? Oh, man. 
I'm jumping up and down. But again, like he said, the correct thing, there's been an indictment. Let's have a trial. And then you can jump up and down on the witness stand and in the court of law and get the, you know, not guilty. Exoneration, acquittal, excuse me. That's the way things are supposed to go. According to the procedure, that's not what happened here. Racism, white supremacy abounds. Uh, anything else? Oh, last thing that I will say about this case specifically. Um, research so important. There's so many layers of white supremacy, racism. Uh, I can only even even as he said he didn't think that Mike Nifong did anything in terms of trying to sway black voters to get them to vote for him and that sort of thing. Maybe that's true. I know that sort of thing does happen quite a bit where white people can be manipulative to give the appearance that they're fighting against racism because Mike Nifong he mentioned repeatedly that this case has elements of racial animus and I'm not going to let it go Re- elements of racial animus as though you know I'm concerned about the Negroes of North Carolina maybe he wasn't doing anything to got, try to get these folks to, to black people specifically to vote for him maybe he was but I do know in the system of white supremacy white people do that sort of thing it is very important to scrutinize even if a white person says they're doing something to help out the negras and they're doing something to work against racism you should still scrutinize what they're doing and you should still be suspicious because even if Mike Nifon was doing the correct thing he was right there with Crystal Mangum wanted to support her and her family he really truly believed that she had been raped or suffered some sort of sexual abuse and he was going to do everything that he could in his power to prosecute her abusers even if that is a thousand percent true that was not his conduct and mentality with Daryl Howard that's why I said I'm left like I'm not very sympathetic to him like he should have been gone and now two North Carolina prosecutors have been disbarred uh, in North Carolina in the Mike Nifong same districts I mean this is not exactly an area that is a model of justice and correct law enforcement proceedings. Shout to Scotty Reed, North Carolina. Uh, let's see. Uh, I guess I'll see. Folks have any thought they need to get in before we get ready to uh, wrap up. We should be here on Thursday. The book club, the man in the high castle, installment number four in a very short book, much uh, unlike this one, The Price of Silence. In fact, let me give the two sections that I thought stood out most to Gus T. See if I can give those again quickly before we check with the listeners, see if they have anything to share really quick, and then wrap up for the broadcast. Uh, the one was uh, the random white person. Like I said, he wrote in, he was upset. Uh, we had the black professor who was saying, hey, we have to. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So again, I can put it in full context. So we had black female professor Holloway. She had been outspoken, calling out racism on the campus, misogyny on the campus. And in fact, there were so many white people who wrote in to target her. There was a different white woman who wrote in and said, hey, why are you upset with us? Why are you coming after our upstanding, angelic young white men? Are you mad because your son is a convicted rapist and murderer and you can't be proud of your own parenting of your black son 
that was another moment where I was like, whoa, Deontay Wilder standing account. Let me get myself together. Because then I had to go look and be like, is that true? And it is Professor Holloway's son, adopted son, is a convicted murderer. And he was convicted of raping a number of females. Like, oh, my God. Anyway. So people are, are writing in like, no count, Professor Holloway, we're going to get you. And I can't believe you talked all dirty about our white males, our white boys and tried to accuse them. The woman wrote in, she said the email messages that Holloway and other uh, non-white black faculty specifically received were ones that contained the phrases, you stupid black bitch. What a fool you made of yourself jumping on the guilty bandwagon only as a pathetic attempt to appease your own anger for growing up ugly and the fate of black people is sealed because whites possess superior logic we need to show more rape cases on television between black men and black women to further educate black women. All in quotes. I am going to remember that passage for a long time. That is another one. Now you're going to tell me the author of that is ignorant about racism. Even that's one to think on, like, wow, that's how we want to educate brain trash black people to think about black males. They're just rapists. Anthony Broadway. That was about to be a movie. What they just said that they said that they were going to make Anthony Broadwater lucky. They were going to make it a movie. They listened to the even we need to show them. This is the black male out here talking all this trash. It's one rapist in the universe. It is the black male. You and we're gonna make a movie to show you about it, put that on TV all day long. Central Park Wilding. Oh, and then the racist joke. Then we can get the call. So, the racist joke again how do you stop black people from hanging out in your backyard? Hang one in the front. The victim said that he heard this from fellow white Duke students. So again, the average age, we're not talking about Donald Trump, Paula Dean, Bernie Sanders. Probably have to be talking about a white teenager, white 20 year old with a history of lynching. Not ignorant about racism. Uh, any of the folks that were with us have comments here they need to get in before we wrap it up hello B in Santa Rosa yes sir um yeah we use fair a lot. Um, I noticed that, and uh, he he made a uh, um, a statement. He said, "You'll know it when you see it, like porn." What the heck does that mean? 
I don't know if that's that big, but it stuck out to me. Fair. Much obliged being Santa Rosa. Fair was used a lot. It's used a lot in this case, period. Like if you uh if you read the book, uh or if you I believe if you watch the documentary, although I didn't uh, really count while I was watching it, but if you watch uh, Fantastic Lies, it's used a lot. These young men weren't treated fairly and they didn't get a fair trial and the media didn't treat them fair. Like it was used a lot. I think he used it when you asked about justice and he said, fair. like, woo, that is right in the dictionary. That is exactly, in fact, why Mr. Fuller says don't use the word fair uh, because it's used as a synonym for beauty logic justice and white suggesting that only people who are classified as white are deserving of justice or classified as beautiful or thought of as logical and again the sentence that I just read it said we whites have the superior logic and then make sure that we show you all about raping black males. Anywho, uh, word fair, and then uh, oh man, I was gonna comment on the other chunk, the second portion of what she said, being Santa Rosa. What was the the second uh, portion of your commentary, sir? He said, you'll know it when you see it. Like Pornography. Porn. Yes. Thank yeah. you. That, I think, now again, I'm not, I feel like I said this every day when we were doing the book club on O.J. Simpson. Like, I am not a scholar of jurisprudence. However, I think that is the phrase, like, exactly that, like, judges, and I mean, like, Supreme Court judges have used uh, to describe a number of things. Uh, like justice and it's like a common phrase of jurisprudence to say that people will know it when they recognize it like pornography uh, where they've talked about different like vague con like justice and some other things but I've heard that regularly uh, where that way we don't even have to define what pornography is but sometimes that can be like hey maybe this book is pornography who knows <laughs> but no, who's, who's judging but I think that is a common phrase uh, in like even like when you go and have like law school and students are talking and such I think that's a common phrase that they will toss around you'll know it when you recognize it it's like pornography each and it's deliberately vague so that every each individual each individual so-called community has discretion to pick out what they decide is pornography so I guess maybe that's supposed to apply to justice too that everybody can kind of pick out what justice means to them which you know all that just comes back to so there's no like set standard for justice it can just move around depending on who's you know doing the doing the adjudicating yes that's what it means Yeah, I agree. He, he also said something. Uh, uh, what was that word he used? I can't think of it right now because I'm driving, but uh, I can't think of it right now. But it, it goes to like, oh, have your day in court, and and you know, you'll you'll get justice. And I was thinking to myself, like, what if all the jurors are white? Do they still get their justice or presumed day in court? 
Anthony Broadwater, Matthew Cotton. That was the one I forgot. He's not a lawyer. He's a writer. But Matthew Cotton is actually a black male in North Carolina, like Anthony Broadwater. That was in upstate New York. And Vincent Simmons, that's Louisiana. There's some of the other. Daryl Howard, he was in North Carolina, not technically a rapist. Matthew Cotton is North Carolina. He spent 11 years in prison. We've got to read his book, man. Uh, but yeah, like he goes to court. So you get your day in court. Like we are still in a system of white supremacy. So you get your day in court and they get an all white jury. Whether you're Matthew Cotton, so you get an all white jury and all niggas look alike. Guilty. 11 years. Or you get an all white jury. Crystal Mangum is the accuser. And this black bee, she lied. Not guilty. We love her. These white boys are so handsome and angelic. They didn't do anything. Get on out of here, white wench. You lied. No guarantee. We don't, he agreed. We don't have a system of justice. We have a system of white supremacy. So even at the trial, I mean, I guess you get an O.J. Simpson every now and then. But I mean, generally speaking, probably can expect Anthony Broadwater's. Vincent Simmons, Matthew Cottons, all of whom got a trial. I have yeah, manipulated. That was the word. Manipulated. Manipulated. Yes. Yes. Uh, was it a uh, retired firefighter in Florida? Yes, sir. I have a little bit extra commentary uh i was just thinking you know uh at the latter part that uh the uh family members of the uh of the uh the, the suspects quote unquote uh probably uh uh powerful influential uh they Prop, they, they they more than likely had to uh, form their strategy to not having a trial. Uh, even even if even if the victim was a was a white female uh, in rape case as it is, uh, you know at at those particular type of institutions, the output of of uh, white people like that they uh they go off of a lot of reputation you know background that sort of thing uh it's the difference of being a quote-unquote big-time attorney or a pro bowl attorney uh, uh handling cases of uh uh black people <laughs> that sort of thing or making millions of dollars uh i think duke is also known for uh it's uh uh physicians output also uh he mentioned that uh one of the uh one of the uh suspected rapists uh is a uh a big time attorney uh but uh of course especially if the the victim was a black female on top of it and i would suspect that it, at any one of those high positions that they would buy for in their their future the, the the person who would be interviewing them is powerful enough to obtain the information about the trouble they had 
got into, and they probably would have gave whatever that opportunity was to another another white person, you know, from that standpoint. Uh, and in a large case, that's the reason why a lot of white people go to places like that is to, you know, is their avenue to uh, having this ultimate success, uh, that sort of thing. And uh, that would have, that particular type of case would have, even the case, the trial itself would have ruined, would have ruined their chances, I think. Uh, what, what, do you, what do y'all think about that? They, he has uh, in his book that a number of these, uh, let's uh, just talking about the three white males who were actually indicted. Uh, so that's uh, Reed Seligman, Colin Finnerty, and David Evans. That, like you said, like, I mean, hey, Duke, one of the most prestigious universities that you can attend, even though it's not Ivy League, um, and that uh, these white men came from very powerful white families uh, where they had really high ranking, mm-hmm. high paying jobs uh, and knew really influential, well connected white people. Uh, and so a number of these guys, uh, or at least the ones that were graduating, they had jobs pending, job offers pending at like major corporations, Goldman Sachs and that sort of thing. Uh, and some of them, their job, it was conditional on these charges being dismissed or them being exonerated, whatever that was, uh, you know, not, you know, this can't proceed. You certainly can't be found guilty. Uh, and I think even one of them, he wrote, had their actual job offer rescinded. Uh, because, you know, it took about a year, I think, for the actual charges to be dismissed. So I think there was a lot of pressure not to want to get this result. Like even Duke, they said Duke, even though th- even this give you a quick one, Duke University. Their donations increased unless my memory is bad. He said that this uh, event happened March 2016. He said for the 2016 calendar year. Duke University set a new fundraising record. White people didn't see all of this and oh my God, drunken debauchery and gang raping of a nigra and blah, blah, blah. Da, 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 da. I'm not going to give them my money in no way. They better clean. Nah. Record breaking fundraising. Now, they did say they had some drop off, I think, in the early enrollment of students or what have you from all the negative publicity. But I mean, money wise, cash registers are overflowing. But yes, both with the from an institutional level and from these uh, white students individually, there was a lot of pressure and motivation to get this wrapped up as soon as possible not just get it right and get this dismissed so we don't have to even get all in trial and then go through all the evidence now when did you say did you call them a nigra did you say you know their grandparents thank you for picking a nice guy don't want all that exposed let's wrap it up and move on and, and especially if we can wrap this up and then get 20 million dollars a piece from Duke University and then he said the other students who weren't even indicted they got money too they just didn't get 20 million dollars what wasn't it a black male uh in close 
location of that incident. I think he was a teammate. Yes. At least one. Just one. Just one. He was called all kinds of coons, sellouts and coons. He was all kinds of name calling. I remember the case. What what, what, uh, was some of the uh, uh, broadcast on, on him? Uh, what 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 took place in in regarding? I know you don't have a whole lot of time, but but briefly, uh, what, what what type of relation that we reported on his activities involved as far as involvement is concerned? Uh, some of it you can guess. Uh, a lot of folks called him all kinds of sellouts and coons and all the rest of it, and he should step forward and tell on these white teammates because uh, he was at the at the party uh i guess he, to me i thought it was funny uh so all right so i already told you when this they ordered white strippers the non-white strippers not miss mangum the first non-white stripper she gets there and they're like what the hell what's going on and so then miss mangum gets there and they're like oh my gosh god we ordered white strippers what is going on and so the black guy is like what black strippers oh right on <laughs> so now he gets excited <laughs> <laughs> where everybody else is like, ah, this is messed up. This is not what we want. <laughs> anyway, so they do the party, blah, blah, blah. Everything goes bad. So he is going, the black male, he's going to go, I could. I guess I gave his name really quick. He um, is going to go to do the DNA, as Mr. Cohen said, but they're like, you know, hey, she already said there's a white guy, so, you know. <laughs> you're, you're The one time we know we don't have a black male rapist, uh, consider yourself lucky. Get on out of here. Uh, but he was not, he did not get off. He said, it's still, you know, they canceled the season. They thought of the whole team as rapists anyway. And then he said, all the black people came after him. You're a sell. Oh, I can just read it from the book. You're a sellout and blah, blah, blah. And all the rest of it. You're a coon. Why don't you turn in uh, these white teammates? And, you know, they messed over your black sister and you're not even doing the right thing. And you don't know your culture and heritage. And why are you hanging out with these guys anyway? And blah, blah, blah. And, you know, all the rest of it. I think his dad actually played on the, lacrosse team uh as well let's see give you his name and second okay yes yes uh they probably got chastised a lot by the by their parents those those close powerful people but uh, outside of that they, they they made the victim look like a uh uh someone who was just uh trying to take advantage of uh uh wealthy white people so to speak that that's what that's what they made her out of tried to well they actually they was kind of successful you know to tell you the truth as far as reputation wise you know uh and uh so that kind of like works in their favor as far as future uh uh high opportunities that that sort of thing uh yes we did call some strippers but it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was a situation where we just wanted to have a little bit of entertainment with some white ladies, and and that was it. And then they showed up. <laughs> you know, I can see where that would go go pretty well. You know, in their favor. You know, from that even even in that light, it, it would go in their favor, especially powerful white males. Uh, uh, they would say, okay, well, we'll give you. We'll give you a, a exit because uh, uh, the wrong people showed up. You know that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, uh... I'm gonna get the black fella get his name, but, yeah. See, I can get that, but, like... <clears throat> the uh, excuse making uh, for their conduct on the night when everything uh, went down uh, and then even you know afterwards to try and get out and say well you know nothing really happened we didn't have time and all that and again just because of the evidence and Mike Mike Nifong's conduct and everything and what's been reported other than the racism and what have you it is kind of difficult to you know kind of suss out what happened what exactly did happen if any rape happened if there was time for all of that uh but in like i said no white person here in my view no innocence the alcohol abuse and all the rest of it the racism uh, and all the rest of it certainly no innocent conduct uh here uh let's see Anywho, uh, did anybody else have any comments they want to make sure they get in before we wrap up? Be in Santa Rosa. Oh, yeah, man. Um, you're just talking about the black guy. Can you imagine him just sitting there talking about, yo, man, they just moved the whole indictment thing for them not to even go to court? If I say, if they can move that, what do you think they'll do to me? I'm black. I can picture him, like, just sitting there thinking that. He seems kind of uh, <clears throat> confused, <laughs> if I could say that, victim of racism, like he was saying that uh, this whole incident had made their bond stronger uh, on the team. And, you know, he knew that they were definitely Sherwood. That's his name. Devon Sherwood. Devon Sherwood. It's taken me so long. I got confused. Like, why can I not remember uh, his name, but yeah, Devin Sherwood, they were, uh, that's what I'm trying to just, so I can give you the quotes. So I can give you exactly what some of the things that he said. Let's see. Uh, is this the one? Yes, here we go. Okay. So. Devin Sherwood. Let's see. I'm trying to get the one that I got from later today. Okay. Uh, Duke had already given permission for Duke had already given permission for about a dozen of the team freshmen and sophomores to talk to other schools about transferring. Looking at coming back to Duke next year isn't just a lacrosse issue. The prospect of yet another indictment was also weighing heavily on the team. Even though my son was never implicated, Devin Sherwood, he's part of the team and feels the stress and strain, continued Sherwood, who, like his son, had played lacrosse at Duke. He's feeling a lot of different kind of pressure than the rest of the team. There's a feeling that because he is an African-American, he should have stepped forward and told what he knows or stepped in and stopped this. Uh, let's see if I can, because he had one more where he was talking about, like I said, the whole, you know, <laughs> you're not, you're not in touch with your culture and all the rest of it. Da, 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 da. According to Thumbbar Broadbar, with one of the family, Devin Sherwood, the 
I'm sorry? I said he would have had to transfer to North Carolina Central. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> like, uh, let's see. Chris Como and Good Morning. Oh, this is on TV. I'll see if I can find the link. He was on Good Morning America. I have to see if I can find this. So that's right. Chris Como and Good Morning America struck again on Halloween morning. That's so funny. With an exclusive interview with Devin Sherwood, the only black player on the lacrosse team whose parents were both Duke graduates. His father had been the first black person to play lacrosse at Duke. I bet he has some great stories. Sherwood was a walk on to the team, meaning he wasn't recruited and likely had no athletic scholarship. He said his teammates had been stereotyped, not unlike what happens to many minorities in America. It's just been all the stereotypes, Sherwood said. I've been stereotyped for being rich, being on full of scholarship, being not in touch with my own black community at Duke. So it's just amazing that the things you see and that were going on in this case and how the reversal from black stereotype to now rich, white, privileged stereotype and not surprisingly, Sherwood said he did not believe Seligman, Finnerty, and Evans raped Mangum. He said it was impossible that the rape occurred. I'm 100% confident, he continued, even though he was not present in the bathroom when the alleged attack was said to have taken place. He said he knew nothing happened because he knows the three accused players. I don't hesitate, he said. I believe in the character of my teammates. I believe in the character of specifically the three defendants. He said the party itself was boring. We were just sitting around, he said, and there was nothing to it. It was very boring. I was itching to get out of there because it was I'd rather be going to sleep personally to tell you the truth. And then, like I said, he, uh, said he was going to go give DNA and I said you know hey Negra they have not accused the Negra this time have fun uh, I'll stop there but yeah that's why I said he seems kind of victim of racism confused you know <laughs> these are his white friends and all the rest of it and all my, like he didn't say racism but it almost seems like man we got white racism and black racism everybody's a victim of racism that kind of talk victim Still learning, even though he's that close. Doesn't seem like he read Mr. Fuller's book at that young, tender age. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Can can I I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, Greetings. Um, Yeah, thank you for the for the broadcast tonight. I just wanted to give some quick thoughts on the on the program. Um, Well, I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, he was asked twice about the purpose for his book and not once did he mention, you know, anything to do with Crystal or aiding her, you know, her so-called struggle. Um, and this seems to be like a a pattern that I've noticed with these so-called investigational journalists and really racism, white supremacy in general. Uh, it seems to create opportunities for journalists like him to, uh, you know,
know, make money off of the mistreatment uh, of other victims. Um, I thought that he used a lot of words. I, I could be wrong, um, but I'm a little, you know, I've been heavily victimized, so it's hard for me to keep track a little bit. But I thought that he's, he definitely used a lot of words. Um, as well, uh, when I did ask the question about the, uh, you know, the, the various white people, forgot to put in the context of, you know, especially colleges, because, and from my observations, I've, I've seen, you know, colleges, especially constantly protecting white males, um, from, you know, court proceedings and, and whatnot. And I thought that this was a similar case, um. And also too, uh, since you're speaking about the about the black male Devon Sherwood, let's him up on LinkedIn and he's got a profile on there. Uh and I'm pretty sure I'm looking at the right guy. He he um uh says he played lacrosse. So I thought I'd put that out there for anybody. Um but th- thank you for the for the broadcast. Uh, wanted to add that. Much obliged. Maybe he got paid too. Maybe he got a little bit of a settlement check too. They messed up his season and all the rest of it. Hope he got a few coins out of it, Mr. Uh, Sherwood. Anywho, um, his book is lengthy, so yeah, lots of words, but there is a lot with it. I mean, it potentially could have been 46 uh, defendants uh, with all the folks on the lacrosse team, so it is a lot of uh, detail in this here thing. But yes, wordy book, wordy broadcast. Hopefully, folks got some information on the system of white supremacy and again the black male rapists. Uh, we'll be here Thursday, man in the high castle, reading more important than watching television. All of that's man, especially for this program, sobriety would be best. That is said so many times by so many people in this book for so many reasons. Sobriety would be best uh, if you're out and about. If you see anybody being hostile and rowdy, this is not a time for verbal confrontations. If you didn't leave your residence ready to kill and or die, exit. No confrontations with strangers. If you're in a vehicle, lots of drinking and driving in this book too. So many these white children, they can't say they were innocent about that. So many of these for even JJ Reddick, remember him? Uh, retired NBA player. He was at Duke when all this went down. He ended up getting a, a, a driving under the influence after they had went through all this and we're not going to have any more of this debauchery and gosh darn it, y'all are going to behave and ran, ran, ran. Anyway, uh, if you're out and about, sober, buckled, not on the cell phone, we need all of our attention to be mindful about what's happening around us and minimize contact with race soldiers. You will not get indicted and then your charges dismissed like the lacrosse gang. All that said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately cow signing out no name calling thanks all 
for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. Man, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>